Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lasses, and those who are scrappers, and welcome to the Pot of the Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by my co-host, Spencer. Spencer, how are you? Doing well, man. Back to a two-man operation today. We do not have our third guest. We don't have our guest that we had on the review podcast. We are back to just you and I, and we are going to break down in full detail episode nine of House of the Dragon. Spencer, on our review podcast, reaction podcast, whatever you want to call it, we were, I would say fairly negative about the episode has that changed as you have digested the episode this week i may be a smidgen more positive than i was but this is still going to rank pretty low for me i think at the end of the season when it comes to, compared to the rest of the episodes and i think it's the first episode of where i can say one of the main re what i feel like i would have been better off not re uh, reading fire and blood before watching this episode because i one of my biggest complaints is as an adaptation Some would say you haven't read fire and blood Fuck off. Uh, as an adaptation, <laughs> I have qualms about some of the directions and the choices that they made. But my complaints aren't just limited to that. I think that from a plotting perspective, from a character perspective, this came across as... I could see the strings a lot more easily, and it didn't feel as natural as they've been doing so wonderfully before. And there were a few moments about this episode building up to an ending which... A lot of people were either really in or really out on, it seems. So, this was definitely not my favorite. I still thought it was very well crafted and very well acted, but a lot of the plot and writing around that seemed like it was a little bit... not up to the, the levels I know they're capable of. So, the writer for this episode is Sarah Hess, and she's been getting pummeled by like 10% of the fandom online or whatever the number is, 2% or whatever. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Please don't do that. But I did not like how this episode was written. Um, there was a number of things that didn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why Allison was so gobsmacked that they were planning for Aegon to be on the crown when three episodes ago she was smacking Aegon in the face and telling him, you're going to be king. Trust me. Everybody knows it. There was a number of things like that in the episode that I thought were inconsistent. I felt like I wanted to question, like I wanted to talk to Ryan Condo and say like, all right, when you're writing these scripts, are they written sequentially? Are people reading the previous scripts? Like, I don't know. Do they get this. final, do they get finals of the previous script before they write the next one? Like, I, I'm just wondering because there's just some inconsistencies that seem relatively basic to me. Like, I don't, I know that sounds really mean, but it just, it just did. Uh, and then of course I really didn't like the ending. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I would say it's my least favorite episode of the season. Oh. There, it, there are good things about it. I'm mm -hmm. not saying it's a bad hour of television. I enjoyed it. I love the show. Still love the show. Still want to do the pod. Don't worry, folks. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> but I did not particularly like it. And it's my least favorite episode of the season, I believe. It's fair to say, though, that that's not necessarily true from the fandom. of We've been doing no. a little re review and research, and this seems like it's actually one of the more popular ones. That it just may reflect that there's been a growing amount of appreciation for the show over time, with the two episodes before this being the highest rated yet. But at least on IMDb, this was tied for third place in terms of uh, most approved of episode by the fandom. And in my polling of people around me, there's a lot of people that really like this episode. Now, there's a lot of people that really didn't, but I think the average is generally very positive. So this is kind of like, so Kane, so The Undertaker was a really big thing in WWE, right? You know yes. about The Undertaker. I do know about and The Undertaker. And then his brother debuted, Kane, and then they had this huge rivalry, right? And they had all these battles. And then one day, Kane and The Undertaker standing in the ring, paws out, paws out, boom, we're going to shake hands. They became the best tag team in the in the WWE for like five years. I feel like that's what's happened to me and you. We started out on opposite <laughs> sides this season. We argued the first five or six episodes, and now 
I feel like we're, we're, we're together and we're in the, and we're in the minority and we're it, just like we were last episode and we're like sort of fighting off the 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 noise because I think episode eight, while it did have a lot of people who really appreciated the Viserys um, storyline and the acting of Patty Constantine, there were some critics of the episode in a little bit harsher terms than you and I were willing to go to. And mm-hmm. in this episode, it seems like the vast majority of the casual audience did enjoy the episode and you and I did not. So what I'm saying is that we're Kane and the Undertaker. Ipso facto. I didn't know that that analogy would work so well, but I'm here. I'm here, definitely here for it. Okay, so here's what we're going to do this episode, as we do all our episodes here on Pot of the Dragon, where we are doing a deep dive review of the episode. We will go beat by beat. I will lead a recap of the episode. Beat by beat through the episode, Spencer will chime in. Witty anecdotes, insights, I don't know, charismatic thoughts. And then we will <laughs> move on. Then we will move on to a segment called Best Line of the Episode. Spencer will, oh, as always, will supply me with nominees for Best Line of the Episode. I got Emperor of the Segment. We'll select Best Line of the Episode. Then I will explain why House of the Dragon is not, not, Game of Thrones isn't back. No, we're past that. Why House of the Dragon is here, why it's a cultural phenomenon, why I'm enjoying it so much. And yeah, despite the fact I didn't love this episode, House of the Dragon is here, my friend. So I will mm-hmm. be doing that segment in earnest. And then we will say goodbye to our sweet summer children, our unsullied people who do not know where the story is going, have not read the books and do not want to know what is about to happen or potentially about to happen. And then Spencer and I will lead a segment at the back end of the podcast where we talk about book to show changes and it is spoiler central we will just be talking all kinds of spoilers so if you don't and you haven't read the books and you don't know where this is going please drop off before we get there spencer are you ready for the recap damn straight man all right we start with some hbo commercials and guess what spencer guess there, what there was a certain show being advertised they were advertising white lotus season two and i have got an announcement for everybody I promised it on the recap podcast, and I will announce it here. Spencer and I are going to be reviewing season two of HBO's White Lotus. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, you, you were a big fan and recommended season one to me frequently. I have still yet to pick it up, but I'm going to watch it over the next couple of weeks. And from what I can see, season two looks like looks like it's highly anticipated. And it seems like what's going to happen is White Lotus is going to slot right into the 9 p.m. Sunday time slot spot. For yeah. the House of the Dragon. Yeah, so we'll just keep this running. Like, we, we don't, maybe we won't do a review recap podcast, but we'll just sort of keep the same time schedule. So, yeah, we're going to do, uh, White Lotus. The name of that podcast is called Enjoy Your Stay, a White Lotus review podcast. Hey. Um, we're doing our best to get it up as fast as possible. So please subscribe when that becomes available, or you can always go to mancomtalks.com and check out our, uh, podcast. You could, you know, get direct links to the various podcast services so that you can subscribe to it and you can see when we release our first episode. So that's what we're doing next, White Lotus Season 2. But back to the issue at hand is Episode 9, The Green Council. We get a previously on a lot of talk about Rhaenyra as heir. Not surprising there. Key subject of the episode. We have an Allison line to Aegon where she's telling him Rhaenyra will kill him. Will kill, kill all of them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Rainey's talking about standing alone and it ends with Alicent's misunderstanding of the king when he's talking about Aegon's dream and the prophecy. Intro, I'm told there are very big changes in the intro, Spencer. Didn't you catch them on the first viewing? Uh, I went back and rewatched it twice for you and it is noticeably Aww. different. I didn't enjoy it, but I did it for you. Uh, it is noticeably different from where we started at the beginning of this season. There are a lot more divots and shifts and different focus of blood rivers than there were previously still can't recognize a single one of the damn logos but i'm guessing they indicate that certain different family members are now part of the chain 
Yeah, I think that kind of what what it is is they have Renera and Damon. Yeah, they have Renera and Damon's children, and then I think <laughs> there's weird have, outliers going off now too. And I think they've moved on from the Viserys uh, line to the blood. Like when you get Viserys, it seems like the blood gushes for a very long time, which would make a lot of sense. I don't know. I I, I enjoy it, but it is. Difficult to parse at times. It's gatekeeping. You described it perfectly. It it is very much this. If you don't enjoy this, it's not for you. So I'm going to the the con. I believe you're going with me. The Game of Thrones con in December. Mm -hmm. I here's what I here's a game we can play when we get there. When we're just talking to people, let's ask them if they like the intro, and then (laughs) after that, after that, let's see if we get a lot of like the sort of condescending. I'm the biggest fan of a song of ice and fire. You know the stuff you get from the real jackasses at these things like mm. i'll bet you the people who are like i love the intro it, there's an even line to oh well you don't even know about blood raven or you know whatever exactly um, yes. we start with the empty throne room morning is just peeking in the small council is empty um it's funny to me that in a lot of these rooms uh the windows are open and it makes perfect sense because they're so high up nobody can climb up so they just leave the windows open all the time i just never noticed that before and this is actually one of my favorite scenes of the episode. I love the, the just low-hanging mist and fog that is just hanging over the city. It's very much a quiet-before-the-storm kind of moment of where things are obscured, the world is just now awakening, and no one is quite yet ready for the events that are going to be directly apparent upon the light of the day. It's well-done filmmaking. It's, well, it's actually a certain degree of effective tension associated with it. The music's on point. This was a good start to the episode. So we start with a young boy. He walks out of a room which we learn later is the King's room. And he just proceeds down some stairs and the music here in the first, maybe 15 minutes of this episode goes in and out of something that seems eerily similar to me of the winds of winter. Yeah, it does. That the start of that episode where it's like, ding, ding, do, 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 do. Like, it's kind of like that. It's a little different, but it's that single piano note hitting in an ominous way. It's tense. Which really builds, yeah, exactly. builds a ton of tension. The young boy um, reaches down and tells, go ahead. That kid is the most casual messenger ever of, I walked in and the king was dead, to ever exist. Would If you were that kid, would you not be sprinting? Would you not be, you know... This would be the most important message of your life you're looking to deliver. That kid's like he's delivering somebody else's breakfast order. So, you know, in the book, they tell you, you're right. A, you're right. He doesn't, he's nonplussed. It's all get out. But in the book, I think this might be a nod to the book because in Fire and Blood, it does talk about how the queen had a young boy checking on the king every morning because she knew he was about to die. Yeah. And the boy was to go directly to her and say if the king died or not, right? And it, it yeah. was expected that he would find it one morning. They threw a wrench in that by having him tell the queen's handmaiden. Who we know. They do that, which they do for plot purposes, but he tells the queen's handmaiden who then immediately goes and tell the queen. Now, I'm going to say this. Olivia Cook is too good of an actress for that crying scene. So what I think she was doing is Alicent fake crying. She was acting as Alicent fake crying. That's my theory. This is where it's hard with respect to this character of where the guy they have in the book is a very manipulative person who is just yeah. putting on representations so as to guide those around her where she wants them to go. And so you're never quite sure what she personally actually feels other than when she's directly to your face calling you an asshole or worse. This Allison, though, they seem like they actually want to paint her as sincere and caring and legitimately sad the king is dead. So, yeah, I'm kind of with you. This was not her best acting if they were actually going for sincere here. 
she does tell Talia, right? Is that the name of the, uh, the handmaiden? Talia, yeah. Yeah, she tells her to stay here, tell no one. That is important. Yeah. Um, cuts Allison talking with Otto, and they're just sort of, I don't know, chopping it up over a cup of coffee, talking about the dead king. It's just a sort of... As people casual, do, yeah. Casual conversation. She says, uh, Otto want, immediately wants to know who knows. And she says, Talia, some of the servants. She goes on to say that she saw him last night and he wished for Aegon to be king. <laughs> no. Which he did not do, which it, she thinks he... I'm not... You know, I have a theory on this as we as we go forward. But um, the, the, the Otto perks up at that, obviously, because that's just cabinet useful. for him. And he leans in and she says, it is the truth uttered by his own lips, his last words to me. And I was the only one to hear it. And now he's dead. So there's a little poor me aspect to this too. Like, oh, now I have this big, heavy burden. And no one's going to believe my son me. King, and nobody's going to believe me. Even though we know that they were, she specifically was planning for this because of a line she gave Aegon three episodes where she said, you will be King. Everybody knows it. So it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. There's two things here. One, I do like that her account to Otto doesn't even mirror at all what the King even told her it's like she picked five words and she didn't even compile them in the correct order in terms of what she's recounting to Otto here all right so i'm going to debut my theory now i think that the queen knows that she's reaching with that interpretation she but she wants to go with it it's what's wish because result? because the evidence is she does like here's here's how i would think she was sincere is if she told Otto, i think the king told me this he was kind of in and out of it he also was mentioning something about the North Prince that didn't make that a lot promised. of sense. Prince. But like, I think what he was saying, is, if she just said that, I would be, I would think she's being honest here. But I think that there's a level of, um, you know, voluntary blindness around this. Like, I'm, I'm going to like, choose, choose. Yeah, dilute, self-delusion. That's what it is. I'm going to choose to ignore certain parts and run with this. But if you put her under truth serum, she would she'd have to admit that she's inferring a lot, which I actually like that. I think that is a it's a that's the, that's the kind of like inaccuracy of witness testimony kind of thing, because your own biases come into play real quickly in yeah. terms of describing events. I'm with that um, in terms of her throughout the episode, apparently suddenly being ignorant to what their long term plans were. As you said, adult Allison straight up has told her children, you need to sit the throne. They'll kill you otherwise for a while. But even last episode, she was directly involved in terms of trying to disinherit Rhaenyra's children. She's been yeah, part and, of this plotting from the get-go. On, on the Driftmark episode, when you had Lena's funeral, Aemon tells Aegon, Helena's going to be your queen. So the kids are, it's so ubiquitous, yeah. so and, talked about and, on and their the, side that the kids are casually addressing it. And when Viserys forces Aemon to, you know, confess who told him this, he's looking at his mom. He blames Aegon, but he was looking at his mind. It's like, if you want to say that she wasn't directly aware that it's been 20 years of careful manipulation of other houses, fine. I don't like that either. We'll get to that scene, but fine. But her level of just almost naivete that comes across this episode, that they had any plan at all here, I it strains disbelief and seems like it's more of a conscious effort to paint her as a white hat than it is in keeping with what we've seen previously for the characters and then the overall plotting. Shout out to Tylan, Jason Lannister, for talking about this later. Um, yeah. So cut to Talia lighting candles. Now, people might not have picked this up. And so this is the value that we can add is in your viewing experience. What's going on here is that there's a very specific number of candles and arrangements that Talia is going to light. And in lighting that, that gives the message down to representatives of Masaria, Masaria. the White Worm, 
that the king is dead. They so have that, worked this. They, they've worked this out, right? So, so that's that why you see this. You very you see this very specific shot, and that's why when Otto goes and addresses Maseria later, the first thing out of her mouth is, "My apologies on your the death of your king." When they have told no one, right? And it shocks Otto. Like that's how she does. All right. Yeah, I, I thought that was well done. It, it was it was a believable me- way by which they convey the message, and it's a pretty shot. And I like that they didn't feel the need to hold our hands there about how Maseria knows. Cut to the small council meeting, green council as it were, yeah. and we see very specifically. Someone has rolled a marble, so I guess the marbles are going to be important. Uh, Tylen Lannister starts by asking, what could have waited an hour? What couldn't have waited an hour? Like, why are you getting me out of bed for this shit? Didn't even bring breakfast. He's like, was Doran invaded? It gets quiet. Could they not have catered? I mean, honestly, with all the people that are there right now, they couldn't have ordered something in. That's that's hard for me to believe. Like I, Tyrion always had food for the small council. Like it's like, yeah, come on, it's it's low hanging, literally low hanging fruit to give uh, people. <laughs> um, it gets quiet. Otto says the king is dead. We grieve for Viserys, the peaceful, our sovereign, our friend, but he has left us a gift. With his last breath, he impressed upon the queen that his son Aegon should succeed him as Lord of the Seven Kingdoms. Tywin Lannister immediately. Then we shall proceed now with the full assurance of his blessing on our long laid plans. And it's great. And I love it. Other than the fact that immediately Allison looks absolutely flabbergasted. As if I got, I got a tinfoil. You ready for this tinfoil? Please. It's tinfoil time with Uncle Lee. I'm here for it. I I believe that this is Jason Lannister. I believe they switched. They switched at at some point. Look at the body language. Look how he comes in. He looks swa- all way too much swagger. He's, he's trying to joke around. Thing. Yeah, and he stupidly just says the thing. It says the quiet part out loud in a way that Tylen wouldn't have done. Tylen was much more reserved and could read the room and politically savvy. This is very much a Jason Lannister move here. It, it does come across as much more Jason Lannister than we saw ever previously of Tywin. Maybe they're just saying that Tywin's now feeling his oats a little bit and is acting more, you know, like a self-confident dick the way his brother is. But we haven't seen that, so we're playing a bit of catch-up. Or uh, they switched. How, how do you feel about uh, Viserys' title, by the way? I was actually kind of Love fond it. of Viserys the Love Peaceful. It. There's some things in this episode I like. I, I, I think that, like, Martin is probably kicking himself that he didn't include Viserys the Peaceful as a moniker for Viserys in, yeah. in the book. And it might be in the Targaryen history we're going to get in two weeks. Um, because it, they're basically doing like, remember like a world of ice and fire, they're oh, doing yeah. the exact same thing for Targaryens that will come out in a couple of weeks. And they might, they might include, I think that's a perfect moniker for Viserys, Viserys the Peaceful. That's really good. I love it because it cuts both positive and negative. It really embodies, it embodies a good summary of his ruling of the realm in, well, ways that were both glorious, but also devastating. <laughs> Did Otto just just cook that up and just drop it right there? Was that an Otto Otto special? If, if so, man, I want that guy to do stand up. That guy can think on his feet beautifully. If that's the kind of thing he just you know cooks right right in the moment. So after Tylen Jason Lannister says this, Otto says, "Yes, yes, yes. There's much to be done as we've previously discussed." So one important thing here is that Tylen Jason Lannister says that they've secured the treasury and it will be divided for safekeeping. Remember that one for later. <laughs> So what they're, that's a throw, that sounds like kind of throwaway line. It is not, folks. That is very important because what they're doing is they're securing the crown's money Mm -hmm. and they are dividing it and sending it to different parts of the realm. Why are they doing that? 
because they don't have full faith that they're always going to hold King's Landing. If they did, they would keep it in King's Landing. But instead, they're moving it around to places that they think are much more secure. And by dividing it, um, they reduce their overall liability of losing it because it, Brunero would have to go to three, four different places to get it all right. Right. I mean, at this stage, they can't be certain that they're going to hold King's Landing now. This is a coup. Whatever else they want to call it, this is a coup. And the first few hours will decide everything about whether they have any measure of control whatsoever. So securing the money and getting it out of Dodge is essential to make that work. And essential for any long-term success, if they could even survive the first few days and weeks. One of the smartest things the Greens do this entire episode. Period. Um, Otto says they need to send ravens to their allies in the river, in River Run and High Garden. So... Uh, High Garden, that's no surprise. The, the Reach, um, they, they got control of that as the High Towers. But River Run is sort of interesting. So who, what, draw the, draw the line for the audience, if you can, Spencer, of the connection of River Run to the Greens and, and how they're allied. Ah, uh, you're going to have to help me a little bit right there. Cause I, I mostly remember, particularly from later stages in the book, of the River Run being a little bit more, uh, mixed on when it comes to them. Uh, can you actually remind me? Because I don't really remember. Uh, so uh, I don't believe anybody from River Run was was there when they were doing the the kneeling for Renera. So they were very specific about who they showed, right? But they did not they show the, the Tullys or anybody else. That is true. Ex- yeah. So uh, I, I think the idea there is that the Tullys never, or whoever, you know, the Tullys phrase, whoever, uh, never were a part of that ceremony and therefore are kind of like um, – it's not a matter of getting them to switch allegiance, maybe basically like it would be like trying to deal with Barat, the Lord Baratheon, which they talk about how that's going to be sort of more of a negotiation. Uh, they're, they're more effectively uncommitted at this stage. So more useful grounds for negotiation. So one of the things I, I, they did in this episode and um, they do, I would say effectively maybe cubed uh, is show you that Harold Westerling is not happy with what's going on. I personally just think they go to him too much. Um, it's just too, it's just too, like, I got it. He's not happy, but they go to him probably, I think there were six cutaways to Harold Westerling, and that seems excessive to guy, me. Guy says the thing, on to Harold Westerling. Guy says another thing, on to Harold Westerling. He was the audience's barometer in the room, effectively, how they're using him. I agree. One or two just shots were enough to show us that the guy is sick to his stomach about watching what's occurring in front of him. Because later, when he takes the gold, clo- the the white cloak off, what you want is you want the audience to feel like they pieced it together before it happened. But if you make it too obvious, then the audience isn't able to like, kind of like play the fun game. Like, because you know everybody does that when you're watching. Like, ooh, I bet he's gonna do blah blah blah. Like, let them do that by just a couple cutaways, not a billion. Like that was too much. Uh, Allison then blurts out, "Am I to understand the members of the small council have been seek- planning secretly to install my son without me?" Uh, Allison, I think you were on the same page here. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe she's just objecting. She didn't know the precise details. Maybe she feels, you know, offended that she wasn't brought into the exact planning of it. But she comes across this scene as if she'd never even entertained the idea that people were, you know, working to make it so that her son could be king. And I just refuse to believe that she would have been almost willfully that out of the loop. I don't get it. So here's... Here's the only thing I can imagine is that she thought that this sort of plot to install Aegon was something that her and her father were doing on their own. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the small council had been brought into it and she was not discussing it with the small council all this time offended her. That's the only thing I can, the only way I can make sense of it. 
very that that's at least a possible interpretation. But if that's the case, I just don't particularly like it because it just it's just not in keeping of what we've previously seen of her being very addict, actively involved in prior aspects of the plotting that we've been shown on the show. Jasper Wilde says something benign and not, about not selling her with dark plans. And then Lord Beesbury, shout out Lord Beesbury, has his moment. This is House Beesbury's moment, Spencer. This is a book fan favorite in terms of just moments in the fire and blood. Everybody loves Lord Beesbury for this moment. I will not have this. To hear that you are plotting to replace the king's chosen heir with an imposter, hundreds of lords and landed knights swore for re- fealty to the princess. And Lannister, that was some 20 years ago. Most of them are now dead. Jasper Wilde mentions that the king changed his mind. Beesbury time. I am seven. I am six and 70 years old. I have known Viserys longer than any of you who sit at this table. Notice he calls him Viserys. He does. The implication there is he knew the man. Mm-hmm. He didn't just know the king. He knew him personally. And I will not believe that he said this on his deathbed because he didn't. Alone with only the boy's mother as a witness. This is seizure. It is theft. It is treason. At the least it is. The king was well by all accounts last night which of you here can swear that he died on his own accord now this is where beesbury just starts fucking screaming yeah. at which of us are you accusing of regicide lord beesbury <laughs> whether it be one of you or all of you i care not i will have no part it's a reasonable honestly concern that he has right here right now about the king died last night unexpectedly and he's just now getting noticed in the morning attached to a coup reasonable concern that the king did not die of natural causes He's just seeing shadows everywhere. He's just seeing enemies everywhere because Fair. Um, they obviously didn't bring him in on this. And the fact that Tylen, Jason Lannister, is over there saying, like, we've been planning this the whole time. First off, he's got to be pissed at the rest of the small council for doing this, oh, for yeah. planning this. And then he, you know, I think at that point, he feels like all bets are off as to what, how evil these people are and, and what they're doing. Uh, Kristen Colgill sit down, slams him down. His head hits the marble, marble right into the temple, dead Lord Beesbury. I said this on the recap. It has been further solidified in my subsequent viewing of the episode. I really wish they'd gone with what happened in the books or what I think happened in the books. Uh, the, in the books, it's, it's strongly insinuated that Kristen Cole just, just slit his throat. There's at least, there's two possibilities presented. Either three, actually. That either A, he had his throat slit. B, he was just immediately thrown in prison. Or C, he got tossed out of a window right here. My throat slit being my favorite. I think my and the every book fan's favorite in terms of options right here. Yeah, my, and I think that like most people who read all of the literature around the Dance of the Dragons, all the four or five different pieces of literature we have, most of us go away from that thinking, it's most likely that Cole slit his throat. I would have liked that better because uh, for a this... Lot of this thing is just sitting him down. And first off, his temple hitting the marble like that is just like the chances are like one in a billion that that would happen. And then two, I just, I like that it would establish that Cole has drawn, drawn first blood, that he is, he is the one willing to pull a knife out and start rolling and start going with this because that makes sense with his character, right? He, he is, he is over the top emotionally connected to the queen in a way that becomes like dangerous. It, it, there's no way we're not going to get into some book nerd bitching right now. At least ones like these, they don't matter that much. But I don't like this for either character's sake. I don't like it for Beesbury's sake because it takes away from the drama of his moment. Him having his throat cut truly is him make, becoming a martyr effectively for the cause. The first true casualty of the war. Him dying by just an accident with a marble to the temple is just so lame in comparison for that. It's, a, it's lame. It's really lame. It's a, it's a much worse exit for what is a great character moment. I also, as you said, I really don't like it for Cole because it's in keeping 
with how they portrayed the character in a way I've not enjoyed, of where rather than a cold, calculating, measured rage and violence that this character brings to the bear, they were instead going a sudden act of angry action. That's what they, that's, that's, that's how he killed Joffrey previously, rather than done during a tourney in a carefully arranged, organized fashion. And now, he just looks like he got really angry that somebody was talking some shit at Allison, and he just slammed him. No thought process, no message to the room, no silencing dissenters, no act of a kingmaker. But just the overly aggressive action of a guy that's got anger management issues. And I don't, I, it, it's a lousy portrayal, I think, of, the, of either character. And now I want to tell you something that I've noticed in just television writing, right? Um, it is my opinion that there is a, there's a, you call it maybe a trope or a, mm-hmm. a, a, a lazy tendency to do this, to have a big moment for a character. And then you go, Oh, I will not have this. I do not like this. I da, 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 da. And then someone goes, ah, shut up. Like, and then kills the moment. And here's why it's lazy because you don't have, you, you insert epic speech without having to write epic speech. Yeah. Right? Like, so cutting him off, not letting him finish his speech, you don't have to write the rest of it. It's super easy. I noticed this in Game of Thrones toward the end, right? Like, because there's that moment where, uh, it, I think it's toward the end of season seven where, uh, Thor Samir is like, or, or uh, not, not Thor Samir, the other one, um, uh, Beric who died. So Beric Dondarrion starts this epic speech with all of the people as they're going north, and then the hound just says, oh, shut up, oh, shut up, I don't. And I'm, I always thought like, uh, I think they got out of having to write the rest of that by this like cheesy like, oh, hey, just stop talking, right? Like, I think that worries me about it, and I always I, it, it it jumps out to me because I have other concerns about the writing, right? Mm-hmm. So like I'm starting, I guess I'm being maybe even hypercritical, but I'm starting to notice like, uh, that might've been a lazy moment where just having Kristen Cole just go, Oh, shut up. And then boom, he dies. You don't have to write the full speech or any reaction to what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I think we're on the same page. This was an adaptation choice that I don't think either of us think at all improved <laughs> the text or even adequately adapted the text. So I think it's reasonable to say poor adaptation choice here. And I have a lot more to say about this and I have a big epic speech to talk about. And I don't have time for that. Move on. Uh, Harold Westerling pulls his sword and points it at Kristen Cole. Throw down your sword and remove your cloak, Sir Kristen. Uh, <laughs> to which Kristen him, pulls his fucking sword on his Lord Commander, which... It pulls again, his sword on his Lord no, Commander. No repercussions. Everyone just kind of shrugs that one off for later. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily with, I was willing to roll with after I think it was episode five, the wedding scene or four or something, uh, where Cole beats up the guy and, and, and goes to the, the, the werewood, right? And the queen saves him or whatever. Not getting punished for that. I was willing to accept. It just seems like it's just building up for Cole. That he just never has any fucking consequences. And I can see why people are getting frustrated with that. It's like, even if you think he, this was an accident, he just killed a small council member. He killed a noble right here in the room and then pulled his sword on his Lord Commander. It's like, what amount of shit that I just get away for, get, let this character get away with when they're not having any of it be consciously planned on his part whatsoever. He pulls the sword and says, I will not suffer insults to her grace, the queen. You know, I think that like, this is evidence that he is not in the King's guard. He's in the queen's guard. He uh, is from his perspective. He's just, yes. 
yeah, he his what he's doing is he's just simply sworn to the queen, and that's it. And like that should be cause to terminate him, I think, from the from the king's guard. It, you know, if not just pulling a blade on your lord commander. Allison then tells him to calm down and says, "There was no insult to me, Sir Kristen. Put aside your blade." Question to you, Spencer. He puts aside his blade, and then Westerling stops. Like so, the whole incident started because Westerling says, "You killed Lord Beesbury." You need to take your cloak off. Like, this is a yeah. problem. Cole draws his sword. The queen says, Cole, you can put your sword down. And then Westerling's like, okay, I'm good. Like, what? Huh? Am I, 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 I missing something? I didn't get that either. I mean, there's, there's a line of dialogue that comes after where basically the Lord Commander challenges the room and everybody just tells him enough. But it didn't work for me. It's like, why would he stop? This is now an internal, basically, Kingsguard issue. Yeah. He's got jurisdiction He's firing... Here. He's firing Cole for what he just did. That was the point of pulling the sword on him and telling him to take his cloak off. Why did he stop? Simply because Cole put his sword away. Yeah, if anything, that makes it easier <sighs> for him to for, for easier for him to uh, you know enforce his order now. Yeah, Master Orwell offers to remove Lord Beesbury's body, which I think is probably a good idea. But Otto says, "Nope, absolutely not. No one leaves until we finish our business." So this is very much a callback to the book because it is. what the, happens in the, the seven book, days. In the book, yeah, the the green the Green Council meets for a very long time. They stay in this room for a very very long. I hope it was catered because they were in there for like two hours straight or something. <laughs> Chinese? Or would this be actually Thai worthy for that kind of meeting? Ah, something that doesn't spoil. Maybe a little Indian. I don't know. Um, in cool. comes Thailand again. He starts talking about Storm's End and if Lord Boros would be supportive. Reasonable concern. Yeah, so that's important because you know the Brathians are awesome and they rule, and, and, but they and also have a. They're kinsmen to Rainies. So it's a reasonable enough familial concern there that they may not back their grains. We also know that Lord Boros had a bit of a relationship with Rhaenyra. I mean, he went, she went, uh, Boros was with her when she was going on her tour and they seemed to get along pretty well. Yeah. He was trying to help her, et cetera, et cetera. Um, also, it's important because the crown, uh, the Stormlands are very close to the Crownlands. <laughs> it's, you, you need the like, Stormlands loyal. Yeah, so if they're not like you, the, the the threat of an army marching on you becomes super imminent if they're not with you. So that it's it's reasonable that that would be like the first concern. This, this is an important thing though, I think to explain to people may not understand how necessarily feudal politics work. The crown itself really only has the direct what's called the crown lands as their immediate feudal possessions, and they can recruit troops and levies from the nobles and that are they're in that particular area. But the Crown Lands are pretty damn small. They're really just the area that's around King's Landing and the surrounding environs. It's the various lords of the realm that are having their own, that effectively their own regions that they're ruling on behalf of the Crown that have the real troops that can be brought to bear. So if the Crown's trying to stand alone, they're screwed because they don't have anywhere near the numbers um, under their own independent banner that people like the Baratheons and the Stormlands or anybody else do. And why is it like this? Because when Aegon the Conqueror conquered Westeros he told the lords who were previously kings who were seven kings he told them you can keep your your area you can be a lord and and yeah and we it it, basically what he's saying is like we're going to create the United States right we're not going to have like fucking one country we're going to have a lot of like states that operate semi-autonomously over my rule now why was he willing to do that why was he willing to in, in essence not have a standing army of the crown uh 
because he had dragons because yeah. it, it didn't matter. Like it didn't, he didn't need, you know, like Aegon didn't need a hundred thousand troops at the ready. He had Balerion the Black Dread. So it was totally fine for the Starks to keep their land, you know, et cetera. That, yeah. So anyway, and, and, nice, and little, not, nice little lore aside. And it's not unique to the Targaryens either. Every feudal lord has to do the same thing. Feudal lords only have very limited like household guard or professional troops that are around them. They otherwise rely on their sub lords and knights and everything else to, to maintain troops to then come to their call and banner. When, like, when Rob Stark calls his banners, he has his household guard around uh, Winterfell and can summon troops around there, but he's relying on all of his lords to bring their troops with them to be the army of the North. Same thing with the Targaryens. They're just calling lords paramount to, to, to bring their troops to bear. And what's important here is that they're talking, they're starting to talk about, like, who, all right, who's going to be on our side, right? And you're going to get a lot of talk about this in the future. I mean, I don't think that's spoiling anything, right? Everybody, everybody can oh, see yeah. that coming. What, what is important to remember is that Viserys is ruled for what, roughly 30 years, something like that? Something like that. Yeah, he's good long. Jaharis, Jaharis ruled for 50 years before him. Hmm. That's been 80 years of peace. So it's not like, you know, if you go to the north, if you go to, to, to Craig and Stark and say, hey, you, are, let's fight. He doesn't have like 75,000 troops just at the ready. It's been 80 years of peace. They're, these people are going to have to, do they have the capability to do it? Sure. Yes. Gonna but they're going to have to raise, raise armies, which is going to take time and different amounts of time for different ones of these lords. And then you also have the travel time built in, right? Because they don't all have the little finger like, you know, time travel express. So there's a lot of logistical <laughs> concerns here if you're actually prepping for war. Which is important. It's all more, all more important for them to have complete control of the message because it gives them a colossal advantage in time about getting out their directives, their birds, their crows first before any rivals can have any information to challenge them with. Yeah. So, and that's important, right? Because they're 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 sending out requests for support for a war that Radera doesn't know she's in. Like, nope. so it, she's way behind the curve right now. Yeah, they're 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 starting the work week on a on a Saturday when Rhaenyra is still waiting for a Monday. She didn't even yeah, know the work week starts yet at this point. When they're talking about Lord Boris, they do mention that he has four daughters, all unmarried, and with the right offer, here's looking at you, Aemon. Aemon, where are you at, Aemon? Yeah. Allison cuts through that and asks, "What of Rhaenyra?" Otto says, "Well, she can't be allowed to remain free." Obvi. Allison seems gobsmacked by this. And she says, you mean to imprison her? Otto says, well, they'll <laughs> yeah, be given. Sure, at first. They'll be given the opportunity to publicly swear obeisance to the new king. Allison, she will never bend the knee, nor will Damon, which you know. Which, you know, that was a really great, that was actually good writing, right? Because she's saying, well, I don't think, she's like, I have insight into Renera. I don't think Renera will bend the knee. But everybody knows Damon ain't going to bend Wait. the knee. Like, so you're definitely starting some shit. This is weird, too, because she seems like she's objecting to this. But again, if you're saying that they would never bend the knee and you've always been plotting to put your son on the throne, why are you surprised by them saying, OK, this is what we got to do? She also said to Aegon, hey, which we saw in the previously on, Rhaenyra will kill all of us. Yes. Now, now here's the here's the argument, right, is that her belief that Rhaenyra would do that has shifted based on the dinner they had last episode. If so, they are framing her as a very capricious character that if all of her decades held views can evaporate over the course of a single dinner. Okay, fine. That's a character choice, but that is a quick turnaround when, you know, a key theme of the overarching series is just how those kind of hatreds and fears, whatever else can become a twisted part of a person that no amount of immediate evidence could ever overturn. 
Well, but let's not talk out of both sides of our mouth, right? Because last episode, we did like the idea that Viserys really accomplished something in that we, dinner. We knew he wasn't going to stop war. We, but we, we like the idea that he really left an impression and he was doing something. And so there, potentially, this is a legacy of that, right? That he actually did accomplish something there and he created a little bit of trust between Alicent and Rhaenyra. We liked that it was a start. And they even framed it as, come back and we'll make it a start. Come I back, we'll drag it back. Exactly. Yes, that. Let's remember that detail for later. Um, Come back on Dragonback. Yes, indeed. Uh, I have a harder time believing that it just involved a complete shift of views, but then again, they give us the deathbed confession from Viserys, so I think they want to just kind of frame it that Allison is willing to just turn on a dime based on new events. Allison's in tears now. She looks around, and I, I watched it with subtitles. I think it's important to note what the subtitles stay here. It says, you plan to kill them, period. Not a question. Yeah. You plan to kill them. It's a statement it's from Allison. Affirmative statement, yeah. And Harold Westerling is about to lose his shit at this yeah. point. He is just... He's very... You know what it's like? It's like it's like when I'm making a point on the podcast and Spencer starts... Uh, 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 but, 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 and I just keep going and rolling. Yes. And you get that like sort of shaky feeling. That's yeah. exactly what Harold Westerling is, except like tops 12 because it's about, you know, Predi- life and death. Particularly from what we saw in the first episode, this guy's been basically around Rhaenyra since she was a tiny little tyke. The, he was effectively well, her remember sword, very, sword. The very first episode, we made the point that it appeared they were setting it up that Harold Westerling was the guy who sort of looked after... Because, like, her we always sword, see... Really. We always see in the in the Kingsguard that when there's a child in the royal family, there's usually like one Kingsguard person who kind of like lashes onto them and takes care of them. And Harold Westerling was set up from the first scene of the first episode as the person sort of taking care of Renera. Yeah. Pretty much until the moment he was promoted until the Lord commander died and he took that post and then Cole was brought in. He was her immediate right-hand man. He was probably her sworn sword, though they never said and so. He probab- and he probably wasn't having sex with her. So, you know, like, it's even better. I would sincerely hope not. I've never entertained the thought that that was a possibility, but thank you for giving me that little kernel. Well, Mushroom might might say that it happened, but well, I, 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 I don't believe that part. Mushroom is the TMZ of Westeros. Everybody be fucking. By the way, still don't have Mushroom. <sighs> Crimes. Uh, Allison, and all here a see to this, Orwell of all people, of all fucking people, Maester Orwell, where the fuck did this come from? Speaks up and says, ah, he's right. A living challenger invites battle and bloodshed. He's basically like, yeah, fuck it, kill her. Like, I'm like, what? Whoa, hey, buddy, where did that come from? Yeah, you he, seemed reasonable. He, he came across as at least being the semi-neutral party before, but I think he's, I think he's in some way just commenting on the logic of where, hey, from a cold calculus perspective, he's right. That would stop any potential conflict over who the heir is. By eliminating all other potential claimants to the throne. Maybe yeah, but he doesn't true. say it, but there's no and, there's no and but. It's yeah. like, yeah, just kill him. Like, he just stops. And I'm like, bro, like, what the, what was, where did that come from? Mm. Um, Otto then says, it is unsavory. Yes. But a sacrifice we must make to ensure Aegon's succession. And then there is Damon to consider. The king wouldn't wish for any unsavory. Allison cuts him off and says, but the king did not wish for the murder of his daughter. He loved her. I will not have you deny this. And shout out to Allison. She's right about this. No matter what they say, no matter how Otto wants to frame this shit, he cannot say that Viserys didn't love his daughter. Nobody in the fucking realm is going to believe that shit. Okay. Can we agree, though, that Allison, whether it be just because of prior inbuilt fears or because she thinks Viserys ordered it, she wants her son on the throne, right? I don't fucking know. I mean... (laughs) What what are they all over the place here? Is that, you know... 
if she wants they're, her they're, son they're on the throne, they're kind of setting it up like the only reason she wants it af- after this dinner where she said, Renera, you're going to be a great queen and they seem to reconcile. The only reason she wants it that basically clean slate, right? Now she's back on Renera's side. The only thing that's propelling her to action now is this belief that Viserys said it on his deathbed. And I have a very hard time believing that that is true. I, yeah, I'm not with that at all, if that's what they're really going for this. And it it just comes across, it makes all the conversation all the weirder is that, Allison, if you are on the same page that your son has to sit the throne, this these are the maneuvers to make that happen. You may deem them unsavory, whatever else, but I... Even if she turned on a dime with respect to what her reasons for doing it were, I still not committed that she hadn't pondered for the slightest bit over the last 25 years what would be necessary to do to make that happen. You're telling me she never even just thought about the mechanics once before in terms of what it would take to put her son on the throne? Never? Was she just hoping that Rhaenyra would just die off camera unexpectedly? Or that Rhaenyra would just show up and be like, hey, you know what I'm thinking? Thinking Aegon. Let's go. You know, you know, I like the guy, the guys down there watching the kids fight. They, yeah, that's, you know, that's my dude. I, every now and then. We all we, know he's got great character. Every now and then, don't we just feel like putting a couple dragons on a 10 year old brawl? I mean, the guy's got a sense of entertainment. He's unbelievable. So there's something subtle that happens here that I, I kind of want to explain. So Allison says the king did not wish for the murder of his daughter he loved her i would not have you deny this and jasper wilde says and yet and allison snaps harder at him than she does at anybody else this entire episode and says one more word now we'll have you removed from this chamber and sent to the wall now Shuts i think him the up. reason the reason she does that i think is because he's pointing out that her logic isn't sound because she's just said the king did not wish for the murder of his daughter. He loved her. And Jasper Wilde goes, and yeah, on his deathbed, you're saying he did. So she doesn't like that this country, he's, he's showing the, he's putting on display her cognitive dissonance. Yes. And he, she doesn't want to hear that. Now, question for you, lawyer that you are, I would like you to comb the regulations for a second. On what authority is she going to send him to the wall here? None. Is this Cersei authority where Cersei just got in the Red Keep and she's like, I don't give a fuck who's living or dying. I'm the queen all the time. I mean, there have been queens that have wiel- that have wielded, uh, you know, regal authority at various times in the past, typically because they, you know, the king was out of town or the king had specifically given them the authority to do so. We've not seen anything yet that says Allison has the authority to order anybody to dinner, much less send them to the wall. And Viserys is dead, so she's not the queen. No. Anymore. And the, and the, queen, hand, the hand's the, right there. <laughs> Uh, none of this it didn't, it makes much sense. Everybody's well, quiet. It's and, perfectly possible she just turns to her dad and says, Dad, would you send him to the wall, please? And that's just how that goes. That's probably what have happened, yeah. Or maybe she she probably would have got Kristen Cole. Made Kristen Cole do it. Uh, but then, but then um, Kristen Cole would have accidentally killed him before he walked out of the room. Oh, damn. Probably. Death by marble. Um, everybody's quiet. And then Tylen Jason Lannister says, very good comment here. Then what do you suggest, Your Grace? Like, what do you what do you suggest? Like, you know, she's snapped. She's screaming and yelling at everybody. She's not making a lot of sense. So he just goes, "You tell us what 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 do you want?" And she just takes forever. And finally, Lotto says, "Lord Commander Westling, take your knights to Dragonstone. Be quick and be clean." He's sending them on an assassination mission. That's what we're to interpret. <laughs> yeah, he's sending line, right? he's sending the he's sending the King's Guard to go kill Rhaenyra and her family. Uh, Harold snaps off his white cloak, and this does seem to surprise Otto. Uh, I, I don't, I don't think he saw this coming. He places it down. He says, "Look, I'm Lord Commander of the King's Guard. I recognize no authority but the King's, and there is not one here. I don't see Nair King among you. And guess what? I'm out. I'm out. This and he is a coal and leaves. 
This is his Barristan Selmy moment, and we, in our last episode, strongly thought that this means that he's going to do the same thing Barristan Selmy did. Go to the person he deems the true heir. I'm expecting we'll see him in Dragonstone with Rhaenyra before too long. We don't know it's this because like... the character's dead in the books at this stage, but it seems like it's in keeping. It also just seems to me that like the non-Targaryens in this world routinely continue to think that they have more military power than they really do. You can send the seven King's Guard. You could you could raise four hundred King's Guard from the dead if you'd like, and you could have them all go to Dragonstone. If Damon or Rhaenyra get on their dragon first, near one of them's gonna kill them. Like they they continue to always they just talk as if the dragons don't exist. Like yeah. how the fuck is Harold Westerling gonna show up when they've got definitely three dragons under their control there? Four really that they could just burn them at any point. Yeah, I'm 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 guessing he's proposing some kind of like, you know, Barristan Selmy sneaking into Duskendale kind of thing because I don't care if he summons like all the troops in the Crownlands. They're not taking Dragonstone by force. That's just not, not happening. Not no. when Rhaenyra has her dragon, Damon has her dragon, her two sons have their dragons. That's not happening. The only way that that's succeeding is if they some way either get in there under false pretenses or they sneak in. And even that's going to be difficult as all hell. So I'm not sure what Otto's really proposing here that isn't a suicide mission at best. And Harold Westerling has to be very careful here because if he just said, this is wrong, Rhaenyra should be the queen, etc., they'd have killed him, right? So he's, he the says... Point. Yeah, he says I have I don't recognize anybody's authority and leave, and I think that allows him to actually get out of there and get get to drag, which I think he'll do. Go to Dragonstone. Cut to uh, we hear the I piano actually don't buy it at all. Ding. I I don't buy it at all. They let him out of the room. They ordered nobody to leave the room, and they just let this guy that just effectively said I'm not loyal to your cause leave. Well, who I guess noble I guess Slater for not just immediately swearing authority, and they let this guy just leave. I didn't buy that at the time, and I don't buy it now. Well, they would. The only person who could have stopped him is Cole, so they would have to have ordered Cole to fight him. I don't know why Which, Otto didn't. Well, because Otto, he does not recognize Otto's authority. I'm just going to let you know. <laughs> I think Otto knows that. Fair. It's going to have to be Allison to tell him. Uh, then we is hear it, my favorite it, character of the episode. Because even Joffrey tried to have Barristan killed when Barristan resigned. Remember that? Yeah, and he he just looked around the room like. Try it. Well, he killed the who's, two guys that were sent after him as well. Who's gonna go? Who's gonna go first? Let's yeah. let's rumble. And I kind of think that's where Harold Westling was. But although we, it's very different, right? Because like the lore around Barristan Selmy is that like nobody could fuck with him. Harold Westling does not have that kind of lore around no. him. I don't think I don't have the impression he could beat Kristen Cole one on one. So no. it's just very different. Then we hear my favorite character of the episode, Helena, the Dreamer, the Dreamer. That, that that's her title now. We're giving him that like Otto does. Helena the Dreamer. Yep. That's how I'm going to recognize her from now on. She says, it is our fate, I think, to crave always what is given to another. If one possesses a thing, the other will take it away. The handmaiden, very used to this sort of talk, just goes, yes, princess. Yes, that's right. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. what she's doing here is she's, what, it's, it's, she's she is intuiting, <laughs> she's intuiting what's happening in the Green Council and, and commenting on it. And then she says, um, uh, Otto comes in. Yep. And um, Alice uh, and the piano continues. Uh, Helena's in there, and um, where's Aegon? No, sorry, sorry. Uh, so basically, in storm, Allison and Otto at the same time. They ask, "Where is Aegon?" Allison says, or Helena says, "Not here." And in the book, she has a very, very great line where she's like, "She's he's not in my bed. You can check under the sheets if you'd like. He is not ever in my bed," <laughs> which is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, 
Off goes Otto and the piano continues. Helena asks what's happened. Allison sits down and says, your father. And then she goes, there's the beast beneath the boards. Now here's the thing, Spencer. Yeah, we, I think we misinterpreted what they were going for with this line. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's a double meaning. I think that's very possible, but I don't think we anticipated this use of it that they do this episode. Because they cl- I think- clearly comes to the fore this episode, whether it's going to come to the fore again later is open question. Yeah, they... they- the, clearly there was a beast beneath the boards, right? And that's yes. that's kind of how the vast majority of people are intuiting this, right? Uh, and in comes Eamon. I S- dropped at a six theory. in the morning. At six in the morning, Eamon is showing up at Helena's room. He doesn't, he, no one has called him. You, you, he doesn't know what's going on. And he's just showed up here. You think the guy snuck out of a window, went around to a different room so he could come into the front door? Uh, Maybe, maybe. I think he's come to see his kids. I, yeah, I think you you offer this as a theory, and I think they've actually given us at least enough to hang ourselves with when it comes to the possibility of that. There's a lot of people speculating online that Eamon and Helena are already a thing, and that the kids are his, um, how, which how would Targaryen. be which would be absolutely wonderful, right? Because the beef, the primary beef that they've had with Rhaenyra this entire time is that her kids are bastards, <laughs> and that. And what, and Aegon is going to take, Aegon's going to take the throne with his kids being bastards, which would be fucking hilarious. It'll set us, set up some other tension later we can talk about too. So cut to Otto's approach of Sir Eric, Eric with an E. Yeah. He asks why Aegon is, (laughs) where Aegon is and Sir Eric with an E Mm -hmm. says he does not know. Otto says, but you're sworn to protect him. And Eric goes, well, look, he orders me away and then he just goes wherever the fuck he wants. Like, what do you want from me? And Otto says, I may, uh, he says, I may, he tells Otto, I believe he may have, uh, left in secret, gone into the city. Otto says, well, go find him. Take your brother. Eric with an A. Take your brother, Eric with an A, and go find Aegon. Otto stops him on the way out and says, bring him to me alone, sir, Eric with an E. Mm -hmm. So, off they go. Cut to Rainey. Go ahead. Which is setting up what's going to be the central tension of this episode of who going to get king first. Because we got competing factions that are working to get the king within their immediate possession for reasons that we will discuss as we get there. Katsurani is being awakened by the locking of her door. She was awakened when the door locked. Um, the piano keeps playing. Ding, ding. Uh, she looks out the window and she sees people being ushered into a cell, basically. Um, yeah. is all, the serv- all the servants are being put in a cell and it looks like... Your boy, your favorite character, uh, Lair, uh, Larry's, um, also, also the Firefly. Tina. The Firefly has, has decided it's time to lock down the flow of information. The servants are a little too chatty. He's putting them all in a cell. Yep. And not just servants as well, uh, cause Rainey's and some other people quickly find out that, uh, Castle is on lockdown, uh, no one leaves until we say. Well, Rainey's is a special case, which Allison explains later. Because Allison says, I can't let you leave because that adds a dragon to their side. Like, there's a military reason she can't go. There's also a practical information reason, too, that if she was allowed to go, she'd tell Rhaenyra what was happening. Which we know she does, because yes. they've already told us on the on the next on. They show Rainey's in her armor standing there being like, hey, they're going to fucking kill you. Like, that's what she says. Hey, they're going to fucking kill you. There is no world whatsoever where Rainey's can ever be allowed to leave this castle. There just isn't, because there's no way that they can trust her. She has direct family in the possession of the Blacks. Of course she's going to go tell them what's going on. Cuts Allison and Aegon. Cole walks in and says that Aegon is not there, and that Otto has sent Sir Eric with an E into the city to find him. 
Allison says, Sir Eric knows Aegon. He has the advantage. I trust again to you, Sir Criston, to your loyalty. Aegon must be found. He must be brought to me. The very fate of the Seven Kingdoms depends on it. So, Spencer, obviously you're bought into this concept. If Aegon is not brought to her specifically, if he's brought to Otto, things are going to be very, very different, right? It's... I guess the interpretation they want us to have with respect to this scene is is that the Queen wants to be able to talk to Aegon first without Otto there to convince him, as we ultimately see, that you know he has to be peaceful, he has to extend some kind of olive branch to Rhaenyra that she might accept, despite the fact that she herself just said five minutes ago that there's no terms that Rhaenyra and Daemon will accept. Nothing. She already just said that, but... She's holding out a hope that she tells Aegon. No, no, no. She, she didn't. Uh, to be fair, I don't think she said. She that. said, she said they will not bend the. Knee. They, she said they won't bend the knee. So I'm not. Sure. When she later it, says you need to give them gracious terms, I'm not quite sure. She might be shooting the gap here, where it's like, I don't know, Renera be the heir potentially, something the, like that. The, the, she's at least holding out a hope for peace. Potentially, they can offer them terms that are generous enough that it's possible. And even in the books, they're, they're both she and Otto are holding out hope that there's at least some peaceful terms that could possibly work. Um, Second marriage for both of them? Have Rhaenyra marry Aegon? Sure, why not? It's very Targaryen-y. But it seems to be that she's convinced that this is necessary to save the Seven Kingdoms, that she have that conversation first, under the idea that whoever gives uh, Aegon the first thought, be it her or Otto, about whether peace is possible, that Aegon won't be able to have two thoughts at the same time, and that will just govern what goes down. I, I guess that's what they're going for with this, and what's the central tension of why they have to get him first. I don't really like it, but it's the main driving tension of the episode. I think, yeah, I think there's a belief, yeah, that what they're trying to, yeah, you're, you're 100% right, Spencer. I think they're trying to convey to us that Rhaenyra's life is hangs in the balance. That if Otto finds him first, he will get an Aegon's heir. Aegon will order the execution of Rhaenyra. And somehow they're going to be able to get onto Dragonstone with four dragon riders and four dragons and kill her immediately, somehow. Um, Cole says, I will not fail. Oh, no, before that potential line of the episode spencer mm-hmm. this very like i look shout out you've, to me you've been pondering this for a while because i thought and i you know obviously some people thought i was being um not particularly fair to Allison, but i thought that she, i thought that she was wielding a little bit of romance or sexuality with both larry's and with Kristen cole right. to manipulate them on some level and she says to cole everything you feel for me as your queen everything you feel for me dot 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 as your queen pregnant pause even in the subtitles there so my subtitles didn't have that doug, I, doug I shouted that out doug shouted that out and i didn't see that but it, i think okay so i'll i'll go i'll roll with y'all's right that, that there's this pause there everything you feel for me well and she says as it, your queen can I you think do it blah, sells blah, blah, your blah, point blah. even more that there's a pregnant pause for that, that she's offering that oh it does yeah for sure before it does, then cloaking sure. cloaking it with formality but either way, I think she's she's copying to the fact that he feels something for her, and she's trying in to leverage some that shape to, his, or form. to to influence his behavior, right? Yeah. So she is manipulating him emotionally. Larry's, as we um, see later, is explicitly sexual. Uh, I don't know if Cole is, or at least is admitting to himself that it has that kind of component. I don't think he sees it in that light, but she's certainly playing with the reasons or basis of his loyalty. When Eamon lost an eye, Cole was in Allison's room. That's canon now. Canon. Sure. Fine. Maybe. <laughs> Cole says, I will not fail you. Eamon says, well, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you because I know his dealings and you don't know jack shit. And he's my brother and I'm fucking going, basically. Which, honestly, yeah. Why on earth wouldn't he? I mean, just uh, 
this is the dumbest fucking idea possible because well, they don't of, know where Aegon is. The Aegon could be dead, and if Aegon is dead or missing, they need to be crowning Aemon quickly, and they somehow let him just go out into the city. This is very, very stupid. Question. Why does everyone assume throughout this entire episode that Aegon might be dead? Do we know because why? He's like, yeah, well, I think that... Not that it, not assume... I think they, they're saying he... not ass, I get, That's a weird phrase you said. Assuming he could be. Well, yeah, I, I mean, it's yeah, a weird name-y-pamby way of putting it. Yeah, why are, well, they, why are they entertaining the possibility? Well, because he's he's missing in the streets of King's Landing, and I mean, like all hell, we see the the debauchery that goes on there. So I think I think they're thinking if he doesn't show up in the morning, could be trouble. I mean, I, I don't think they I don't think anybody really thinks he's dead, but I think they're saying there is a some some possibility that he's what, dead, and they have to entertain that thought. Characters like four or five times say he may be dead, he may be gone for good. I'm like. This is a Tuesday evening. Do you not think Aegon does this all the time? Is this really well, news we, to people? Well, but Aemon also knew that he doesn't want to be king. And sure. so, like, if he... If, he if doesn't Aegon know his dad's dead, though, either. But, well, I think what Aegon's, Aemon's probably entertaining, or I would if I was him, is if somebody got in his ear and told him, he's probably... Because he says to Cole, he might be on a ship to E.T. Like, he he might be getting the fuck out of here. Cause he, and, and we when we see Aemon... Or when we see Aegon for the first time, that's what he wants to do. It's true. He's but, trying to get the fuck out of there. But, but they don't know at this point that Masaria has him. They have no reason to believe that anybody's told him that. that. he would know, that he would know. Yeah, yeah that's true. But, yeah, well, you, you, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure that anybody at this point feels super secure that the information hasn't spread. Um, and that's always a fair thing to describe a lot of character actions this, this episode. Everybody's on tilt. They're all just playing speed chess as fast as they can. And I like that. I actually like that, right? Like, cause I got the impression from the book and I was really hoping we see it in this episode. And we do to a certain extent that when the king dies, all hell breaks loose in the red keep. It's been decades. Right? And it's fucking crazy because yeah, the king's dead. And then also they're cool. this thing that really is usurping the throne. And it's like, it's, it's a lot of chaos and they are, they are demonstrating to us to a certain extent, the chaos. I do want to ask you a question though. When Eamon says, I'm going with you, he gets up to walk out of the room. What did you make of this walk? Like, th- this walk from Eamon is like Jack Sparrow. Like, it was, John- he was like moving at half a foot as he took steps. His hair was swinging. His back was arched. It, it was jaunty. What the fuck was that? I, they, they're really wanting to frame him as being swashbuckly, a swashbuckler-ish. Uh, very much like that exact word swashbuckler. That, that seems what they're going for. They they are framing this guy as being very much in the keeping of Damon of where the man's just got swagger for days, and they're making that even incorporated into how he exits a room. Cut to a drone shot of King's Landing. Um, I will say this about the drone shots of King's Landing. I, I love this show. It's okay. my favorite show on television. It's my favorite show on television. Yeah, come, come. I hear a butt coming. I would. Yeah, well, I would like them to sign some sort of like NDA data use agreement, something with the people who make rings of power and learn how the people who do rings of power do the drone shots of an area that is um, not real, that that they've, they've imaged in some way Mm -hmm. because when they do that drone shot in rings of power, it looks it, 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 the comparison makes house of the dragon look fake to me. Uh, if, it's if you, so di- it's so different. It looks almost like fake or like like it was made 15 years ago. Like they need to they need to do something because the the Rings of Power drone shots are gorgeous. If if you'd like to arrange for House of the Dragon to get five times the budget, I would not be opposed. 
Well, they might get it because they have like 20 something million people watching this fucking show. So I don't know. I mean, they might get it. Um, anyway, uh, Eamon tells a story of, he's talking to, uh, Cole about how Aegon took him to the street of silk on his 13th name day, basically to have sex with a prostitute. Pious Cole steps in and says this line. This is straight out of Spencer's mouth, basically. Mm-hmm. Every woman is an image of the mother to be spoken of with reverence. Oh, such be- again, this is spoiled, go- spoiled cunt, by the way, spoiled cunt. Three episodes ago. Yes, yes. This is also the range that we have in terms of descriptions from him. This screams, this is how he views Allison. That's how I interpret that line. Yes. Yes. That he is holding her up as just this image of purity and honor, a, a, a god's avatar on Earth. Um, and it, you can really, you can really, like, it's such a great parallel between him and Larry's, right? Because, like, Larry's, what he wants, and you you, you explained it. Sexual degrading. Wait. Yeah, it's like... To, to see the queen in this, like, sort of, like, degraded, like, to see part of her leg in this, like... Vulnerable. He wants helpless. To, yeah, yeah, he wants to see the queen in a sort of, like, debaucherous way that nobody else can see. And then, like, the what Cole seems to really get off on is the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. He's almost like having her completely clothed and, like, on a hill somewhere and he can pray to her. Like, it's funny, the, the poles of these two people. And I actually really, if they want to go this route in terms of each of them having their own obsessions over them, I really like Cole's version of it because it's such an obvious response to him viewing his white cloak as being sullied. To him viewing himself being manipulated by Rhaenyra. That he's just swung so hard into this idea that he has to be the perfect knight in service to the perfect queen so as to make it clean again. He isn't, in any sense of the word. But you can see how he can make that image in his mind a necessary part of his personality. I No, I like Larry's better. I like the foot thing better. I know you do. I know you do so um, much. We see the Eric boys walking around. So they're kind of like walking past each other as they're doing this sort of search for Aegon. Cole asked the brothel owner. By the way, brothel owner, a little known fact here for you, Spence. Are you ready for a factoid? I'd love one. Yeah, the brothel owner is the the actress is played by the acting coach of the guy who plays Sir Kristen Cole. Hey, okay. So he got to do a he got to do a scene with his his acting teacher. Cool deal. Didn't know that. Yeah, she says no. Aegon's not here. Cole says, "Well, has he been here?" She's like, "Yeah, about ten years ago." Yeah, but he's moved on. He uh, he actually does a lot more degrading things than we do here. Uh, so <laughs> that's a hell of a statement, really. Yeah, we we really can't. We can't cater to his wishes anymore, so he doesn't come here anymore. Uh, I lo- is there a certain implication? Well, obviously, she recognizes Amon. Is there a certain implication oh, yeah. that she was Amon's first? Oh yeah, just absolutely. Checking. My my, how you've grown. Yeah, yeah. there's a little yeah, and, and him yeah, looking weird, weird thing there. That, that's the most ner- That's the most like you know nervous and uncomfortable in his own skin we've seen of Amon in any context before, where he just kind of just bows his head and walks away, shoulders down, when she points that out. He's very worried Helena might learn about it. Oh, yes. Keep to your shipping theories. Um, so cut to Otto uh, with whatever lords they could round up in King's Landing. So my impression of what they did is they Who's here? said, all right. Yeah, basically, who do we know who, uh, who like, is a lord or, you know, some tier of lord, right, who owns a house that has, like, land and people and can raise taxes and that sort of thing? Who do we know? Let's get them all in here for a conversation. So he gets them all in there. And then we've quickly learned that Otto is playing shack level bully ball here. I mean, it is like, he is absolutely abusing people. Yeah. Because they don't have a choice, right? They either bend the knee, um, 
to their future king, he calls him, or, uh, you know, basically troops come and lead them out. Now, there are two people specifically. I don't know the name of the man. They don't say, I don't believe. Yeah, and I, I, I wasn't able to figure it out. I know that the woman is somehow a leader of House Fell. Which is a which is a Baratheon house, a, st- a storm a stormland house, right? And not a good sign that House Fell says I'm going to keep my sworn oath to the princess because they're worried about the Baratheons, right? And then now they know that one of the one of the one of the lords under him is not willing to break the oath to Rhaenyra, so they 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 walk him out. Do you think what happened to the 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 lady of House Fell, Spencer? What do you think? I mean. <laughs> at least in the books, anybody that doesn't bend the knee right here gets their head on a spike on the outside walls. So, I, th- given what ultimately happens to Lord Caswall in the show, I can assume that these people aren't me- feeding, uh, meeting a good end in the end. Shout out to Lord Caswell. He does exactly what I would well, do, by the way. Exactly I, what I would do. From an adaptation standpoint, I was briefly terrified in this scene that they were going to change even that. Because, like, Lord Caswell is famous in the books of where he's one of the lords that refused to take the knee and died for his honor. That's his famous role in the books. The, the fact that he's not one of the ones that's happening here, I was going, what the fuck are they doing? It's his only job. It works out at least a little bit later. But yes. Like but he does said, exactly what I would do. I would bend the knee there. Yeah, he bends the knee, like, looking, and then he, like, tries to get out of there, right? So, um, basically, Otto scares all these people into kneeling. And then we get another drone shot of King's Landing that also doesn't look as good as the Rings of Power. Just going to throw that out there. It's a seven. The, it's stop comparing it to a ten. Can't help it. I just watched Rings of Power. It's really good. Uh, the Eric brothers are walking around talking. Someone notices them. Cole says, it seems you were mistaken as to the prince's habit. So, yeah, he was. Eamon has like ten-year-old. Like, Eamon, Eamon wanted to go on the, an adventure. Like, yes. he didn't really have that much information on what Aegon does. Um so he just didn't care. But then he starts to speculate. And um, damn it, Spencer. I mean, he could be, I mean, come, Spencer, he could be with mercenaries. He could be on his way to E.T. He could be dead. Aegon could be dead, Spencer. Again. And you know what? You know who's going to be king if he's dead? Aemon one eye. This one, I'm actually, again, it's just coming out of nowhere, but I'm a little bit more okay with it because they're framing it as Aemon wants to be king. He oh, he's daydreaming. He's daydreaming. He's just offering possible scenarios by which that could happen. It's a ludicrous series of scenarios, sure, but he's just pondering in what world that could be. I had the thought, and I probably would have written it this way if they, if, yeah, shout, I mean, I'm sure Ryan Condo listens to the podcast. If you want me to write an episode, I probably would have written it this way. Hmm. I would have given some implication that if Eamon found him alone first, he might have made him. Aegon might have. Aegon might have not survived. That Aemon might have killed him. Um, I don't. I don't think that's beyond that character. No, no, it is not. Um. So then we see. Uh, so the Eric boys then um, walk up to one very rowdy building. One walks in. The other seems hesitant. Party house. Seems like Eric with a, Eric with an E walks in. Eric with an A is hesitant. Um. And then we see it's a fight pit of children. So this is um. I don't know, like child gladiatorial ring, UFC Sesame Street, something like that. I've never heard um, those words put together before. Genius, sir! It is UFC Sesame Street, where they're allowed pretty... to grow their nails extra long, file their teeth, and all kinds of other shit, so they can be that level of extra lethal. 
is human cockfighting with children. Yeah. Um, and they, yeah, they file their teeth, they, but they grow their nails out. And, um, you know, Eric explains to Eric, they're about 10 years old, I'd it, say. And it seems like Eric is much more aware of this than Eric is. I'm guessing Eric doesn't, doesn't get out of the red keep quite as much as Eric does. Well, he doesn't, he's not sworn. He doesn't have to take care of Aegon. So he doesn't, he's not having him run around fucking King's Landing every morning finding his drunk ass. Like he, he's That's probably sworn to like, he's probably sworn to like, I don't know, Otto or something. So he just chills. Yeah. I think Eric's job's a lot easier than Eric. I would probably prefer Eric's. Yeah. I would say so. Definitely. Yeah. Um, definitely Eric, but not Eric. Uh, Good so then Eric, Eric says that, uh, Prince Aemon, Prince Aegon spends many a night in this place and ask potential line of the episode, Spencer. Do you see what he is now? It's a, it's a it's a good line, and it's a in some ways a bit of a taunting line too, because by the end of the episode, Eric with an E is still firmly in the King's Landing camp, while Eric with the A is out, strongly out. Uh, yeah, and we see on the next on just how strongly out he didn't <laughs> says smuggle he has a, a crown out level of out. Yeah. Yeah, he takes a serious crown. He says he hasn't even seen everything. He then nods at a young boy in the corner. Look over there. He's got hair. He confirms it's one of Aegon's bastards. Spencer, do you want to speculate on which bastard this is? Ah, There's one particular. There's Uh, one particular. Remind me of the name. I'm forgetting. Palhair. Palhair, I believe is the name. Say it again. Palhair. Oh. I believe is the yeah um, the the Aegon's bastard that comes into play later. I don't know if they're going to they're going to go that route. If that's the guy's name. They've got options when it comes to Aegon's bastard in terms yeah, of when they yeah. show them or wherever else. Let's all right. Let's let's hear this. Let's hear the on the Spencer's going to look it up. I'm going to double check and see what the actual name of the first bastard was. One of Aegon's Aegon one of Aegon's bastards is named like P A L H A I R or something like that. I don't know. I'm going to check. Keep going. Cut to Lord Caswell. He's moving swiftly. He gets on a horse. Uh, cut to Aemon. And he's bemoaning the fact that we have to look for Aegon in the first place. He's like, why the fuck am I looking for this guy in the first place? This Ga- is absolutely ridiculous. Gaiman yep. pale hair. Yes, you got it correctly. Sorry. Did not remember that at all. Yeah. I, th- th- if that's him, that that's very interesting. Um, we can talk about that in the spoiler section. Um, it, by the way, uh, folks who... Um, haven't been spoiled. The fact that I said his name, like that really doesn't do fucking anything. Like, no, <laughs> like no, they, no. they established in the show that it's one of Aegon's bastards. So that's all you need to know for now. Um, so a- Aemon, shout out to Aemon's like, what the fuck am I even fucking doing? I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. I am the younger brother. So he's history philosophy. Fuck. I train with a sword. I ride the biggest dragon in the world. I'm fucking his wife. I've got his kids. Like I'm amazing. Why are we putting this guy on the crown? And Cole says, I know what it is to toil over what others are freely given. I like that line. Yeah. And I also like their little bromance thing going on here. I like the fact that they're connecting. I like that they're connecting because it doesn't, it doesn't strike me that Eamon has many friends. No, I don't think he's got like buddies. Uh, Other than uh, Helena, according to your view. Helena, he's got Helena, and he's got uh, Vagar, who's the most awesome character uh, he, in the whole thing. Uh, his Damon body pillow that he hugs every night. Don't forget about that. He's got got Uncle Daddy Damon, as it's called, and then, and and you know he we saw him training with Cole, so they do have a relationship. So like, I just kind of like that those two are connected. Yeah, it's a nice um, addition. Eamon then says, "Well, we can't find him. Fuck it, we're decent men. How the hell are we supposed to find him? Uh, we're not <laughs> depraved enough to find him." They searched one building. Done. Sorry, we got nothing. Eamon, I believe Eamon's about to go back to the Red Keep and say, y'all can go ahead and crown me. Because he says, I'm next in line. Should they come looking for me? I intend to be found. Mm-hmm. 
The cuts of the doors of Red Keep and they're opening them for Lord Caswell. Come on, please, Lord Caswell. Come on, please. Cut back to UFC Sesame Street and Eric is saying to Eric that something must be done about Aegon. He is absolutely unfit to rule. And Eric says, look, it's for the hand to find wisdom. We swore an oath of service until our death. The same woman who noticed Eric and Eric in the streets asked for a moment of their time. And they're like, hey, look, we are not buying. We, that is not our deal right this second. This, 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 that, that conversation very much reminded me of Jamie uh, when he was a uh, member of the King's Guard standing outside the bedchambers of the Mad King yes. and his wife, hearing the Mad King abusing the wife behind the chambers, saying, Are we, don't we have an, an obligation to protect her? And the, I think the other one says, we do, but not from him. But not from the king, but not from the king. Yep. Same kind of argument is that we have an, don't we have an obligation to protect the realm? Yeah. Not from him, but though. Not from the king. Uh, but Eric doesn't agree with that. He does and, not. But Eric, he doesn't agree with Eric on that. So um, she says, look, I first off, fuck you. I'm not soliciting myself to you. A, like that's what she should have said. Mm-hmm. And uh, two, she said, I can take you to Prince Aegon. Rather, I am sent by one who knows where he is. I can tell you for a price. And the guy's like, hey, look, man, like, um, you're going to have to tell us before we pay you. And she goes, well, then she drops the name White Worm. And I think when she, it seems to me that the name White Worm is known. Because when she drops the name White Worm, Eric and Eric kind of buck up. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, right, it's a real thing. I mean, White Worm has a reputation. But also, White Worm has worked with Otto in the past. So it's perfectly possible that she that she's kept working with him from so, what we've already seen. She's worked with Otto, but I don't think she's ever seen him before because it looks like they meet for the first time. I'm perfectly willing to believe that. that There's been a source of information, and just from a protection standpoint, it would make sense that they keep a certain element of distance. But they know each other. We know that for a fact. And Damon points out how rarely Otto leaves the Red Keep. He does that in episode one or something. Um, Lord Caswell almost gets out, but someone screams, Hold the gate! And they take him off his horse. Damn it! Damn it, Spencer. He couldn't get out. Larry saw the warnings and called the banners. Larry's takes him to Otto and Caswell says the Lord confessor presumes. I love that. He gives Larry's the name, the which, Lord confessor. Which actually I think was Larry's his title at this point. Um, I thought he was master of whispers. No, point. no. I, th- I think he was actually Lord confessor at this point. He became master of whispers later. He, d- he holds both He's, titles, different points. He says, I have no love for the princess. La Caswell does love the princess. Remember when she was doing that walk right after the kid? And he's like, I, I'll help you with anything. Can I, can he, I, can, can I carry you please? Well, he did both did that publicly. And also he was the only person to greet her an episode or two ago when she arrived in King's Landing. He likes Rhaenyra. He's sworn to Rhaenyra. Otto says, well, where are you going? Such urgency. And Lord Caswell, God love him. Cannot think of one lie. He just can't think of one single, fuck. I mean, come on, Caswell, Mad Libs, anything, yeah. anything. I mean, if he'd literally just answered something along the lines of, Hey, I swore my loyalty, but I think this is going to be war, and I don't want to personally be yeah. here for that. That might have been enough, but he's got nothing. It's so right easy to say. See, where was I going? Shit is going down, Otto. I'm trying to go home. Like I mean, that's where I'm going. Also, isn't Lord Caswell a Reach House? Isn't House Caswell a Reach House? He could have just yes. said, "I think it's going to be war." You asked for my loyalty. I'm going to go arrange for my banners so we can be ready to march. And think about the Reach politics here. Like, Otto is killing a Lord of the Reach. Like, and he is a Lord of the Reach. Techni- the second son of the Reach. Technically, the Tyrol should have some complaints about that. Is that he don't have the authority. He shouldn't have the authority to necessarily do that. Yeah, he does his hand to the king, but it's going to cause issues. Uh, yeah, within the Reach, I would imagine it would be an issue, right? Um, Otto tells Larry's he did well. He says, hey, you spend a lot of time with the, the queen as of late. Like, uh, and, and Larry's a little misdirection here. I love it. Because I think the insinuation there is like, it's kind of strange. What you doing? And and he says, well, there's no reason those hours cannot in the end benefit you. And Otto, of course, takes self-interest in that. So he's a, per- a perfect, well said, 
Which, Shout out to Larry's. Which is, again, as much as I don't like the later scene with Larry's, I can reconcile myself with the fact that Larry's is very clearly still playing all the sides. Cut to Allison. She's got a rag to her nose. She's got that because of the smell, because she's in the room with Viserys' body. Mm-hmm. And they wrap him up. They almost, like, mummify him, but it's not, they're not really mummifying him, but they're wrapping him like a mummy would. Yeah. They're tons of, so can- we, tons so of just, candles in there. Yes. Yeah, so they're basically trying to avoid the the scenario that ultimately plays out in the books, of where he just straight rots and his smell permeates the Red Keep. They're trying to hold that off as long as possible. Yeah, in the books, they they take seven days to to take any outside action. That's how long it takes them to to plan. And they leave the series body just laying on a bed, and he rots. As Spencer said, literally rots to the point it, that it's a shameful. The whole red keeps. It is awful what they do to him in the books. I don't like it. Cut to Allison going to Rainey's. Rainey's is livid over being locked in her room and Allison says look I regret the lack of ceremony right but Rainey's uh picks it up right there and she goes oh fuck the king and Allison nods and she says you are usurping the throne she said Rainey's all over this shit I oh, know exactly what's going on and uh, uh Allison says my husband's dying wish believe it or and then Rainey scoffs oh. at so many people scoff at this through the episode right Aegon scoffs at it later Rainey scoffs at it, at it now yeah. Uh, she says, believe it or not, I don't care, but Aegon will be king. I came here to ask for your support. And Rainey's like, well, I credit your boldness because that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. So it's pretty bold for you to ask. Also points out that allying with Rhaenyra hasn't been super great for House Valerian. And I think that is kind of a fair point. Your father, your your daughter dead in Pentos, not, not sure that has anything, anything to do with Rhaenyra. Nothing to do with Rhaenyra, but she's just reaching here. She says, your son, cuckolded. I don't like that one either because she knows that Rainey's knows that her son was gay, right? And so, like, and and Lainor also, Lainor also uh, claimed the children, right? I don't think this is the right. I wouldn't have said cuckold. It's I would have right said your. I'd have said no. I would have said your son dead in a fire. Like, I'd have gone right to that one. Yeah, that, that, which is the one we know that Rainey's believes that Rhaenyra did, right? But she, instead, she does the cuckolded thing, which is of no consequence to Rainey's at this yeah. point. No, I'm, I'm with you there. But again, I don't think she had much of an opportunity to plan this out before she went in. And she's trying to hit the hit the weak spots. She does pretty well in this conversation. I mean, I'm criticizing, but she does pretty well overall. Then she points out Rhaenyra's heirs are not House Valerian's blood. Allison says this is Lord Corliss who grasps so heedlessly for this. So she's got to throw a shade on her husband, which I'm sure Rhaenys doesn't like too much. She says, but it is uh, even he who abandoned you. And I, I don't know if you noticed this, but what she said, Corliss abandoned Rainey's for six years. Rainey's like physically flinched. She got like real pissed at that. Like it was like two seconds flash of anger. I thought it was really well acted. Mm-hmm. Um, but the jaw tightens, her eyes widen, and Allison confirms. But in this conversation, though, I do think one thing that's important is that Allison confirms that Corliss is not dead. So he is still not dead. Corliss Valerian, the sea snake. Still alive at this moment. Yeah, she she offers the possibility he could still die, grievously, if not mortally. It's still in flux about what's ultimately going to happen to him, but he is not dead yet. Now, we know he had a blood infection because he was burning from the inside, right? If he's still alive now, I'm going to bet on the sea snake. I'm, this is not book spoiler or nothing. I'm just saying that, like, an infection like that, if you survive the worst of it, you know, we all heard it. The fever breaks, et cetera. Your body starts to, to, to mend. So if he's still alive here, I think that's a very important point. Rainey says, potential line of the episode, Spencer, get your nominee card ready. The house, the word of my house is not fickle. 
good line, powerful line, and it's the exact opposite of what Allison wants to hear in this moment. And Allison does like this sort of desperate housewife. I've had like two glasses of wine and I'm trying to like now I, I'm feeling a little tipsy and I'm trying to make a best friend. So she does the, the unnecessary hold the arms when they're talking. I don't know if you've seen this happen. I very much it, seen it's, this happen. Yes. It's after it's after a few drinks and it, you know, I, I've seen I, men I, do I it. I need to talk to you. I've seen men do it, but I've seen it more often from women. And they they grab each other's arms and get super close as they're talking. Allison tries this. This is not a move that Rady sees particularly comfortable with. No, she almost um, like to pull back uh, from it. Allison says, I love my husband, but you should have been queen. What? She's trying to say whatever she can possibly say to get Rainey's to agree. She's, she's and, a checklist. She's going to, oh, it didn't work to focus on your kids. Okay, let's go queen that never was. Let's focus on that one for a second. And Al- Rainey says, well, I had little thought to hear those words from you. That also could be line of the episode, potentially. Allison goes on to say, the throne should have been hers. Viserys could have lived his days a fat country lord. Conti- I don't think she says fat. I, I put a, that in there. A country uh, lord. A, his days a country lord, content to hunt and study his histories. That's interesting because you, I think you, on this exact podcast at one point, shout out to you, Spencer, said, Viserys would have been better as a country lord. I think you actually said country lord. And that, think, that stuck think, with think me when I heard words, this. Yes. And I was like, oh, crap. Spencer's already said that. Um, and it's true that he would have been probably, he would have had a happier life if he had done that. But here we are. We do not rule, but we may guide the men that do gentle and away from violent and sure destruction to peace. Rainey's breaks this weird arm grip that she's doing and says, Oh, it's for peace. It's the name of peace. You've imprisoned me. Oh, good. And Allison then drops what I think is the most truth in the entire conversation. She says, look, if we're overmatched, Rhaenyra might be tempted to strike us immediately at war one Sue. Without your dragon, she may be persuaded to deal. She's saying Maylees is really big. Maylees is like maybe the third or fourth biggest dragon in the in the world right now, maybe the third biggest dragon in the world behind Vagar and Vermithor. That's a big deal for her to have Maylees over and, on Rhaenyra's and, side. And so they're trying to stop that militarily. And the fastest dragon in the realm, too. It's a very legendarily capable dragon and a very capable rider in the form of Rhaenys. Uh, this also factors into, again, a part of the reason I don't see why she's just so anti-Otto camp right here, because she does need Otto's efforts to make any of this work. Because she says here, they have to represent their strongest face, or Rhaenyra has no reason at all to negotiate with them. They have to show themselves as being unassailably powerful, having everything already arranged, have a perfect winning hand already ready to play. Otherwise, there's no point. Rhaenyra's just going to ignore them and raise her own banners. So she really needs Otto's efforts over the last 20 years. Otherwise, she has no, zero hope for peace at all. None. But she doesn't really acknowledge that. Allison then starts offering Driftmark to her. Very strange. Uh, Really, spaghetti strategy, Spencer. Mm -hmm. Um, What's six? Let's see what sticks. Throw that spaghetti against the wall. Let's see what sticks. So a couple things here. A... Allison's comments about Rainey's deserving the throne doesn't make any logical sense to me, right? Because if that was the case, then why is she usurping Rhaenyra now? If if Rainey's, as a woman, should have been allowed to inherit the throne because she was the oldest and she was the next in line, then wouldn't it logically follow that Rhaenyra should be able to ascend the throne now? And she's talking out of both sides of her mouth. It's a weird And it seems thing. like she's really, and it seems like she's really, really relying on the king's deathbed request here to make her case because she's not making, she's clearly not making the case of male primogeniture. She's not making that because she says Rainey should have been queen. So instead she's saying, 
this deathbed request is the reason, and it just seems very flimsy to me. Apparently, according to the writers, the most successful thing she says is just to establish a degree of, you know, sympathy. Mom-mom thing. Uh, yeah, a mom-mom meeting point. To establish that they have a, gr- a degree of sisterhood going on and that they've got some <sighs> shared issues as being mothers having to guide men and their ambitions. And Apparently, that's the only thing that actually works, based according to the writers later, later in the episode. And uh, sure, maybe, uh, but nothing else really seemed to land that well. The author is dead, Spencer. Forget all that shit. Uh, that's nonsense. I don't think any of it lands. It doesn't make any sense to me. Because um, it Rainey's doesn't seem the type that you can just be like, come on, us girls are going to make a... Like, she doesn't get manipulated that easy. Like, I don't no, believe she it. Even B, called, so, she even called Rhaenyra out for it last episode. Remember? When Rhaenyra tries to bring uh, Raina into the into the godswood, and she says, yeah. you obviously just brought her here to manipulate me. Fuck off. You tell me I couldn't yeah, see that coming. That's why, I, that's why I'm questioning. Like... Did the right this writer did she have access to the near final scripts of the previous episodes? I don't. I'm not. I'm not 100 percent convinced she did. I don't know. Um, she wrote. She, B, this writer wrote. Uh, I think Princess and the Queen is one of the prior episodes. She wrote. She wrote another episode of the season. So that was a. Uh, I had B too. B. Allison is clearly desperate here, but we know from the last episode that Rainey's doesn't really care if a request is desperate. She takes it for what it is. I think that's kind of important when we're thinking about Rainey's decision making, right? Mm-hmm. So Rainey's does give Allison some credit here. She says, "You're wiser than I thought." I'm not sure why, but apparently she is. Um, she calls her Allison Hightower. I love that nobody is in the history of this whole fucking world has ever called her Allison Targaryen. She just stayed Allison Hightower the whole time. It's true in the books, though, too, that she's always just referred to as a Hightower. Yeah, that's what I, she is. I don't, yeah, yeah. Um, she says a true queen counts the cost. Is Allison true queen counts the cost to her people, Rainies, and yet you toil in service to man, your father, your husband, your son. Uh, she says she just desires to make a window from her prison, and then she says, "Have you never imagined yourself on the Iron Throne?" Which, so that'd be kind of like a that'd be kind of like a Cersei style, right? When you're the queen, like three different ways and then all the men died and you're just like i guess i'm queen yeah pretty much that it, it, it's effectively just pointing out the kind of like the logical flaw in what allison just presented where you just focus on the fact that i should have been queen you focused on our own rule and really whatever else have you really never made the next step according to what you just yourself just talked about and proposed and it almost seems like it rattles allison a little bit to see just have somebody just tempt her with that kind of thing do you I think honestly that think she's like, actually thought about it no, I really don't. Because it seems like she stops and thinks about it for the first time here. Yeah, I agree. Or at least never consciously thought about it, maybe. So she leaves. She says, ring the bell when you have an answer. Cut to King's Landing. And Eamon and Cole are walking. Cole's hat is something else here. He has got a wonderful hat. If you're if you're Rainies, by the way, what do you think is going to happen if you say no? They're going to kill her. At best, you're never leaving that room. At worst, they're They killing. can't. Here's the thing. I can't. People don't talk about this enough. She has to die because of Maylees. Not necessarily because if they, if Maylees was out of the picture, I think that there's a case to be made that they could her send her hostage. back and try to try to work. You are, keep her hostage. Try to work with Corliss. But Maylees is the third largest dragon in the realm. They cannot let her get on Maylees and leave and be ready to fight them militarily because that's like the the biggest nuke that Renera could have would be her and Maylees. Yeah, I don't know exactly how big... Maylis is a big old dragon. I'm not sure exactly where she ranks. But yeah, it's a big threat and it's a big nuke to just voluntarily hand back to what you, the people you're now deeming your enemies. 
I, th- I, I yeah, I, th- I believe she's bigger than Caraxes at this point. So well, it's just, you know, it's a, cannibal's huge, but I just don't want to leave cannibal out of the discussion. We, you, you believe like you know what's hilarious? So funny to me about, you know what's so funny to me about cannibal is that like every time I say like oh so and so said in the books, you're you're a big fan of saying well that's one option, but there's two and three and four options that the books present. But with cannibal, you're like just nope, small folk, small dragon. Folk, dragon's story. always yeah. been there. I believe the village. Yep. I believe Older like time. The, the, I believe like the, the eighty yep. year old yep. like illiterate person from Dragonstone who's like yep yeah I've always been there. That, three that, times the size of Agar. That, that guy that talked about the fish that he caught that was as big as a dragon. That's the guy I'm trusting in terms of this account of what occurred. I believe him. He also had a great advice for where to find Thai food. But it's not, it, it's not, I keep saying third largest dragon. Forget, it doesn't even matter. It, like it, it could be it's third, a it big, could be fifth or sixth. powerful, very fast and dangerous dragon with a very dangerous rider too. The, the big, the big issue, the biggest issue here for them, I think the greens is the number of dragons that Rhaenyra has control over. It's that is the biggest imbalance. issue. Yeah, she's got, she's, first off, she's in Dragonstone with a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of dragons, and then she's got more dragon riders than they do, and if they get, they let Rainies go back, that's even more, so that's, that's the real big deal there, too. She's, to the crux of your question. She's, she's only got three. She's got three. Now, one of them is the biggest, most powerful dragon in all the realm, but we no, talk she's about, got four. Oh, no, 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 the greens, the greens. The, the greens, greens, greens are three. Green, Rhaenyra's green, got, <laughs> the sense. greens really have two. Because are you really gonna send Helena on her dragon into battle? <laughs> no. Just, so no. they've got two, basically. They've got, they've got they've got Sunfire and they've got Vagar, two skilled dragons. I mean, Vagar in particular is a battle hardened bitch. Um, Sunfire, hey, they, watch your language. I mean that in the most positive way possible. Oh, okay, uh, good, all right. Uh, Sunfire also, you know, cap- capable, beautiful dragon and all the rest. Piece of shit dragon, the worst fucking dragon the world's ever known. I know you were going to fucking say that. We're not going to explain that why. We are not going to explain why. Um, Fuck that dragon. Meanwhile, yeah, we all like Vagar around here. Meanwhile, Team Black has, well, I think we did count for like seven or eight. It's just a massive imbalance in numbers. And it includes dragons like, you know, Cyrax, Caraxes, and Melees. Powerful, experienced dragons that can potentially very much upset the balance of the war. You know, and like we... We have, we've seen no indication that Helena could get on her dragon and do any, any sort of battle, right? But the very first episode, very first scene we saw was Rhaenyra flying Cyrax really like dynamically, Expertly, right? Yes. So like, she's a good rider on Cyrax. So, so she, she very much could be considered in that, in that like number of dragon riders that could go into battle. So that's the big imbalance here. So they really can't let Rainies get back on that fucking dragon and go back to Dragonstone. That's the number I, one thing they can't do. I so agree. I'm sure they won't do it this episode. Absolutely. Cole's hat. Can we talk about Cole's hat? Tell me about Cole's hat, man. I mean, I just like it. I mean, you know, it's got like he wears it well. sides to it. Um, it really makes him look about 10 years younger. Did they need to add more to that? The guy is, this is the character they've not allowed to age now for 25 years. He looks like 17. With that hat on, I'm gonna get you. I'll get you that hat. That's a that's a that's a Christmas present for Spencer. I appreciate the gifts you give me, even weird they ass see, hats. They see Eric sitting with Otto and the White Worm. Oh, I hate sits this. Down. I actually hate this. Uh, okay, I, tell me why. Tell me. No, I, like, hold on. Let's go through the recap, please. So they're watching the whole thing go down. He says, "You are the." This is Otto talking. You are the mysterious White Worm. I take it. So Otto never worked with her. She says, "My consolences on the passing of your king." Otto doesn't seem to like that very much. But he orders uh, Eric to give her money, which he does. He says, where's Prince Aegon? She explains, when she learned of the king's passing, she took Aegon and stashed him somewhere safe in case someone came looking for him. 
All right, whatever. Otto continues to ask where he is, and she gives her demands. She wants an end to the child fighting, Spencer. She wants the end of UFC Sesame Street. The gold cloaks take bribes. Look away. She calls it an obscenity. Either tolerated or ignored by the crown. I completely agree with her. Shout out to Masseria for this. Otto says he look into it. Mm. Willie. Mm. Um, she says, when your plot's ripen and you install your grandson on the throne, remember it was me who put him there. I could have killed him as easily as a wasp on fruit, but there is no power. She says, then she says, there is no power. What the peop- There is no power, but what the people allow you to take. Whoop. Let's go all the way back to season two of Game of Thrones. Spencer, power is power. Okay. Yeah. Cersei called it. Power is power. P- power resides where people believe it resides. It's a trick. A shadow on a wall. No, it's or not. It's you're, power you're, you're power. going Cersei's interpretation here. I know. I'm, I'm actually... Power. Power. Power is power. Otto just looks at her smirks and says, I will remember. Spencer, you have the floor. Uh, there's several things about this scene I don't like. Uh, see, issue number one, I really don't like the accent that they give from this actress. It's like, they, the instructions they gave this actress was, okay, do a bad impression of Shay and make that your accent going forward. So I was going to do the accent, but I got told on Twitter that like making fun of the accent is somehow xenophobic, even though that's the actress is not, not her real accent. This, this the actress is, is putting is, that this on is a coach and it's a, for the character. Yeah. And, and it's a fake accent for a place not that's not existent in a fantasy world, but somehow still xenophobic. It, if I were to do the accent, d- doesn't it like have vague similarities to Shay's accent previously back in yes. the game of Thrones proper? Yeah, but way, way more awkward and worse. It, yeah, it, it, it's stilted. It's not great. And it, it, it really hurts this actress's performance, uh, which I, I know she can do better than this, but the accent, I think is keeping her down a bit. So that's issue number one. I, I don't know how, what we're going to do to avoid that unless they give, unless they treat her like Littlefinger who's got an accent that changes every season. Um, issue number two. Why are the hell they having this meeting out in the open? Just in the streets where people can walk by and notice them? People might actually be able to recognize Otto, much less the Kingsguard potentially that are there too. I have no why, idea why they arranged this to happen in the streets. Now maybe you can say it's because they don't trust each other, whatever else. He's got two members of the Kingsguard with him. What's he expecting is going to happen that couldn't also happen in a public place? I don't get that at all. Particularly when Otto's standing orders are, we're on lockdown. Nobody in, nobody out. And how he agrees just to be meet in an open street. That was That's a moment where the strings are apparent in the episode of where the only reason that happened were so that the other two characters can notice them and follow them. That's it. There's no other reason for that to occur. At least in my view. Issue number three... I don't like that the two of them are acting like they've never dealt with each other before. Of where, fine, they've never met each that other. That is weird. Else. That is weird. But they're yeah, business yeah. partners. They've they've had a productive business relationship in the past. Not just That's what I'm saying. either. That's what I'm saying. I don't think she had access to all these scripts. Like, there's so many inconsistencies. If she would have just had, if she just read previous scripts, wouldn't be there. Like, I really think I'm on to something here because how many times in this episode have we clocked it? Like, oh, well, there, there obviously is a line from a previous episode that would make that inconsistent. I, yeah, it's, it's getting harder and harder to rebut when it comes to that. Um, last big overarching issue. I really don't like, Reach. don't, I don't like the presentation that we get from, uh, the white worm here. It doesn't indicate her competence, her experience or the basis of her actual power that she comes across as grasping. She comes across as, from a position of effectively weakness, of where she's, you know, presenting that she wants to, you know, she immediately wants a favor for this, and I need to remind you that I could have killed the king at any time. You need to know that. It's like, that's not how she too represents far. power. It's too, too far. far. 
the, the way the White Worm would have gone about doing this, if she wanted to have any actual respect for her power and authority and her use, which is one of the main things she's marketing here, her use, is to treat this as just as, as the most minimal expression of her authority. She says, oh yes, the king, he's right there. You know, I found him safely trundled him away. It was no issue at all. My pleasure. I may ask you for a favor in the future, but it is my joy to aid the realm. Very little finger style, very very style. Don't treat this as a huge deal, because to you it shouldn't be. They should think it is, and they should think it is by how casually you're regarding it. The, their presentation is, is so off, particularly for a woman that should be doing these kind of deals and arrangements all the damn time. And it plainly alienates Otto before the conversation is over. He plainly is yeah. conspiring to have her murdered by the time he's done because of how far she's going with this. Final issue. She I, shouldn't have said anything about killing him. She shouldn't have said anything about that. That I, was way too far. I really hate that they grounded her motivations in some weird humanitarian effort to change the, the uh, change how Flea Bottom works. Are, is the show I like of, that. I like that part. I actually don't. It's like, is the show afraid to make people self-interested? Is that... I, I think it almost is. We don't see anybody that they want to portray in a heroic light as anything other than for the good of the realm, for the good of the people, for the... Like, is it wrong that she wants just to advance in power without making it explicitly that you have to do engage in these humanitarian efforts? I, I, it, it didn't come across as very authentic, and it came across as kind of forced into the conversation. That moment. Particularly that we just found out about that this episode, which doesn't help my appreciation of it either. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of like. I mean, you know, she's she's got the hand of the king there, and she's got that he'll do anything she says. I mean, I it, I, I think the idea that he owes her one is still there even with the thing about UFC Sesame street. Like, but I, I, I kind of like that. She's like, Hey, like, can you stop this? Like, I, I just don't like it happening in my city. And I, I, I don't know. It just seems reasonable to me. I, it seems like something I'd ask for. Um, you mean so, that you are, well, I mean, yeah, it seems, I don't know. It just seems reasonable. You're, but I, you're your point, but your, mm-hmm. your point that we just learned about this is a good one. You can't, you can't like drop something on us. And then 10 minutes later, like be like, there, there's all this tension about removing it. It's like, well, we just found out about it. Like we were not, we haven't been like hoping for this to go away for, for episodes. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah. Um, so cut to Eric and Eric, they're walking around a sept. Um, anybody who thinks it's a sept of Baylor, you are incorrect. Sept of Baylor not been built. Why? Cause King Baylor not been, not been yeah, born yet. It's fun. This is the unnamed sept. We know the name of the one that Magor destroyed that utterly escapes me right now. We know the Sept of Baylor. This one in the middle we could have assumed exists, but we don't know what it's called. So she says, uh, listen, and under the table is Prince Aegon. And he does not want to be caught. Question for you, Spencer. Did she drug him or was he still that drunk? I was going still that drunk, personally. I thought he was still that drunk, too. He asked, uh, where's the white worm? Where, where is she? So, you know, he, he's been kidnapped. So he's kind of freaked out about the white worm. He says he wants his mother um, so your grandfather, the hand will meet you outside the city walls. You flee. Interesting. What other men die seeking Aegon. It's, it's, it's interesting that if Otto really did tell them, I want to meet him outside the city walls. I'm guessing they're lying to him just to tell him where he wants to go. But if they're not, Otto's purposely sending this guy out of this, out of the situation. Otto is sending Aegon to ET. That's my theory. That's what I think I, was happening. I, and if that's the case, Otto, I'm with you, man. Good, good plan. I guarantee, Charles Barkley guarantee that outside the city walls right now, Blackwater Bay, there is a ship that that 
Otto has arranged that he is just waiting to see if he can get Aegon on. I think that's what's going on here. And if that's the case, that's an honest tension in this episode that they just never pull. They never need to be more explicit. They need to make that one more explicit because that actually sets up the two factions have actually different goals. Without making that more explicit, it looks like it's two sides competing for the exact same fucking thing other than who gets to have a conversation with him first. Yeah, and it, if if Otto is going to send him away, it aligns with, like, we've seen Otto, like, rough up Aegon, talk down he to Aegon. He doesn't like it. He likes Aemon. No. He likes Aemon a lot. So it would and, really, it and, would really and kind of dovetail with all of that. We know he's almost grandfatherly with Helena. So him sending Aegon away and making Aemon and Helen on the throne, winning plan from Otto's perspective. It would work for, it would work for everybody for the Greens. Eric watches all this appalled. Um, they get outside and Cole draws a silly point. Draw, Cole draws his sword, points it at Aegon, and says, I do regret this, friend. Second time this episode, he's pulled a sword at a fellow Kingsguard member. Let's just keep track of that. Aegon takes off, and Eric and Cole fight. Guess what? Cole best Eric. Shocker. And Eric As Eric with an, That's Eric with an E, and Eric with an A watches, and Aemon subdues Aegon. It's going to shock you, but when the two brothers get to get to tangling, Amon gets the better of Aegon. I mean, how would you score that bout? I mean, does, does it even merit a score? Ten, ten, basically ten, ten, ten six, maybe. I mean, it's complete domination. Yeah. He says, I have no wish to rule. I have no taste for duty. I'm not suited. Amon says, you'll get no <laughs> argument from me. <laughs> I am not here to contest you on those points right now. Amon is so funny. You'll get yeah. no argument from me. Aegon asked to get on a ship and sail away dire- directly we look at Amon in his face and he doesn't say anything. he is thinking about that. He is thinking about that. And you know, it might be in line with what the hand's planning anyway, but Cole comes up, Cole fucks it all up. And he says, nope, nope, I'm taking you to the queen right now. And nobody there is willing to fight. I mean, I think Amon probably could best Cole in a fight, um, but he's not willing to do it. So cut to Otto rolling a joint. What the fuck was that about? He was sending a message. He was sending a letter. He was not rolling a joint. Well, why was he licking it? You, 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 you lick postage note, postage letters. You do it all the time. You wanted to make you sure the, the you, scroll that I've never seen him lick the scroll like that. They always just tighten it up and then put the wax on it. Two, he's doing a spit for an initial seal and then wax. The man's just extra thorough about his letter sealing. That actor is very open on his Insta that he does partake. I think he, he fell into around. a groove there for that one. I think he was fucking around. I really do. Allison walks in and Otto says, well played. Well played, daughter. She says, it's not a game. He says, yeah, but you treat it like one. A charming contest. The prize, a pouch of silver. Otto tells her they've relied on each other for years. That is true. And they now both have the good of the family as their motivation. We both want what's best for the family, daughter. That whatever our differences, our hearts must be as one. She says, our hearts were never as one. I see that now. Rather, I have been a piece that you moved about the board. Fair. Great line here from from her and a great line here from Otto. He says, if that's true, I made you queen of the seven kingdoms. Would you have desired it otherwise? And she says, how the fuck would I know? I only desired what you told me to desire. I love that exchange. Which, great exchange. Wonder, two characters. Wonderful, wonderful explanation from her and like a wonderful representation of like when particularly women in abusive relationships like they get out of them and it's like, well, what do you want? It's like, well, I don't know. My, my, my husband has psychologically controlled me controlled me for so long that like i don't have these independent wants and wishes and allison's coming to that realization now it's probably got to be pretty startling to her i would think Mm -hmm. um so she says um she only has ever wanted um she says no no she says the debt has come due now basically to otto and otto cuts her off she says it's a sacrifice made for the stability of the realm 
No king has ever lived, this is from Otto, no king has ever lived that hasn't had to forego the lives of a few to protect the many, though I do understand your squeamishness. I mean, there's certainly, definitely a kernel of truth there. A whole lot of truth. I I don't know of any Targaryen king that hasn't had to kill somebody. Yeah, even Viserys happily killed a few people (laughs) at various times. Baylor the Blessed, maybe. He's the only one. Baylor the Blessed. Uh, I don't think he ever killed anybody. Baylor the Blessed. People died. Baylor the Blessed's actions caused their fair share of deaths at various points. But I don't think he ever ordered it. That might be the only one. He's like not even a Targaryen. I don't know what the fuck he is. There was a fun Reddit thread on the subject of if all the Targaryen kings met in a room, what would happen? And most people were of the view that every Targaryen up to a certain point would have taken one look at Baylor and just started kicking him. Just because he is yeah. so not in keeping with their family. They, yeah, they would have, they'd have got rid of him. Or that or they'd have wanted his autograph or something. They'd be like, like, what is this guy? Like, Before yeah. and after. That's the kind of thing. Uh, back to the recap. Allison says, reluctance to murder is not a weakness. Also a good line. Damn it. She says, I have Aegon. We'll proceed now as I see fit. She says, they will send terms to Rhaenyra. True terms that she can accept without shame. My question for you, Spencer, I was positing a few before. What could possibly be terms that puts Aegon on the, on the, on the throne that Rhaenyra could accept? I mean, there Let's are, brainstorm. I mean, there are terms that they exchange the books. I don't, I don't, remember, I don't remember them really being very explicit, other than basically just give her a certain measure of, of independent authority. Um, but essentially, the only ones that I could imagine would work were to either A, incorporate her and the royal family and her family into the royal family. To establish that they're still effectively part of the succession in some shape or form. Mary Aegon. Yes. Mary Aegon, or have her children marry in, or have her children be the direct heir. Effectively disinherit Aegon's children and have her children be the heir in place. Something along those lines. Which they'd never do because they're they're bastards. See, that gets fucked up. It'd have to be something like that, or, and this be way too dangerous to actually do, but give her a level of independence effectively give her a level of independent control, make her a queen of her own island kind of thing, but that is stupidly dangerous to do. The only safe scenario is to co-opt her, is to bring her they into your seem... family. So I'm only talking about what we've seen in the show. Yeah. All right, remember that, remember that Spencer. I remember. It would seem to me that offering to split the kingdom up, like, hey, you have like this part and I have this part, is would be absolute last resort. That is not something Agreed. you could possibly lead with. You right can't now. walk that one back. No, that's, that's the like, that's like break the fucking nuclear codes out. That's the last possible option because like, then first off, you break up the seven kingdoms, Aegon loses rule and she amasses power. It would seem like that is not something you'd want to leave with. I agree. I think it has to be something like marrying into the family somehow. I think maybe her being heir directly could have, could have worked. Um, but I don't know. I, I wish they'd have told us. Yeah, and, and, um, I've double checked to look it up. We can discuss those term the terms that if they keep to the books that she offers her, and w- after the episode, whether those have had any actually hope of succeeding. Otto, if she lives, her allies will mass behind her banners, look for her return. And Allison says, "Then she must not return." And she says, uh, "My husband would have desired this mercy to be shown to his daughter, your husband, or you, her daughter's childhood companion." Fair counter. This is a good. Uh, though I have some ruffled feathers in the subject of Allison apparently being completely naive to his plans and now objecting to them when they're a necessary part of her own efforts, it's a fun exchange between the two just because it's a final element of a father-daughter confrontation that has been building for years. She says Kristen Cole will be the new Lord Commander of the King's Guard. 
She's, uh, <laughs> she just that's drops a, that. That's a decision. I mean, I don't even think he should be in the King's Guard because he's no. not a King's Guard. He's he's a he's personal servant to the fucking queen. Um, he he anyway. is her he is her hound. That's what he is. You don't yeah, give a hound a white cloak. You don't. He says, "You look so much like your mother in certain lights." She rolls her eyes and walks out, leaving Otto alone to say, "As you wish." Spencer, have you rethought that scene since the recap nah, uh, about what what Allison thinks? Second second rewatch, uh, I'm straight up with you and Doug on that one. It, it was a it was a manipulative shot across her bow when it came to that to try to you know play with her emotions to a certain degree. It just did not land at all with her right there. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought, I thought Doug and I had that one on the, on the rewatch because I watched it closely because we did have that that exchange about it, and I thought, okay, well, let's let's see. And I, I really think she took it as like, ah, oh, he's just being, he's just trying to fucking get under my skin. Um, cuts Allison walking back to her chambers, and it seems Larry's is there. He says, "Your Grace." She rolls her eyes and says, "The hour is late, Lord Larry's." I will say this: it doesn't seem like this is the first time that Larry's has showed up in her chambers late at night and annoyed her. <laughs> The fact the fact that she takes off her shoes and socks to start, this has been an established exchange that they just run on. Yep. No, requ- no is, request, this, yep. no comment. That's just where they go. And I think she's trying to say like, it's too late for this now. And he says, "Well, there's something you should know." And he just kind of little bit by little bit just sucks her right in. She stands there, and there's more emotion on her face than you'd think, and we understand why later. Because I don't think she likes being a part of this. Because all we know of Allison is that she probably does probably want, like, a physical relationship with a man that's, like, not, like, some, like, Viserys or something. She probably would like to, like, hook up with Kristen Cole if, like, you put her under truth serum, right? Sure. But I don't think she wants to, like, hussy about. Like, I don't I don't think she's that type of person. And, I, and this mm, thing with Larry's, I'm sure she doesn't story. like having to do it. Yeah, she doesn't like having to do it. He sits down and he says, have you asked yourself, I wonder how your father, the hand found Aegon first? And that is a good question. He slinks down. She looks down. Finally comes to sit across from him on the bench as he looks down and she takes off her shoes. And there we go. There we go, Spencer. Feet, the feet scene. We are at the feet scene. I don't like it. I don't like it. I know you love Isn't it. Isn't it? But I don't like it. It is, uh, it's something. The feet scene. Uh, I, mean, I, I don't really, yeah. It's an, it's an effective, it's an effective scene for what they want to do with Allison. It's a scene of as much power as she has, she's still powerless before even the people that's supposed to be her closest friends and advisors. She's still having to degrade herself to engage in actions that she deems immoral and sullying of her character to just even survive in this world. That's an effective scene for Allison. I don't like it for Larry's at all. It, it, it's, I mean, hey, it's what we know about this guy is he's their spy master and he has a club foot. And they are grounding this new kink that they purposely want to frame as weird. They purposely want to make it an oddity of his character and a bad thing about him. He's making Allison doing this. And they are grounding it in his disability. And I don't like that. It's uncomfortable. Okay. All right. Okay. Let me, let me, let me offer something to you, a different way to look at this. All right. Fine. Go on. We don't, try. We don't know how this got started, right? We don't. I am going to guess that Larry's first proposed that she get completely nude. I'm going to say that he that he would prefer this, that. This was a compromise scenario. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Is that like she? He's like I need. I, I want to see like you know like what you talked about. How he gets off on the idea of the, the degradation of the queen, right? I'm seeing something yes. that nobody else can see. And that's, like, that's an interesting and thing she, to explore. 
And she probably said, all right, I'll show you my feet. Like that's as far as it goes. And he said, okay, that's going to have to work. That's a, that's a way to think about it where it's not a feet kink. It's a, I want to see the queen naked and this is all she's willing to show me. And that, that works for me in this moment. If that's what it is, I'm with it. If it's specifically feet, it's a weird. I don't like associating kink with disability that I just don't think is a, it's a, it's uncomfortable enough that the bad characters on the show frequently have disabilities. It's something that Martin loves to play with. If now you're also giving them what the show is establishing is in some way deviant kinks associated with the characters grounded in that you're doubling down and it makes me uncomfortable. I don't know. We had the king who had a disability and he was awesome. So, I mean, it's not every, everybody who has a disability is bad. Um, Fair enough. Uh, but I, yeah, that's how I'm going to choose to look at it. But anyway, we all know what happens in this scene. But he uh, he ends up explaining to her that the big piece of information that he gives her that she does not have is that her handmaiden is actually an informant. And that's really important for her to know. And then the scene concludes. Uh, um, he, he, he tells her that and basically he says she's the link in a web going back to, you know, a central spider or worm, if you will. Maybe it's a silkworm. And, if you want to keep the web thing going. And your dad knows about it. And he lets it stay in in place. Yeah, because yeah, it benefits him. So, you know, let's cut it off at the root. And they arrange to do that. Now, question. Do you think Larry's actually reasonably thinks that he can assassinate the white worm? Do you, is, is, he, is he actually hopeful that's going to happen? Or is he just effectively firing a shot across your bow? I think what he's saying, I don't think he's saying I'm going to kill the white worm. I never took it as that. I thought he was saying that I'll just cut off the flow of communication into the king, into the, the, the red keep. I wrote down the quote, but there is one way to destroy his advantage. It must be taken out of the head. When the queen dies, the bees fly without purpose. That, that screams assassination to me, but he may just be being metaphorical. I thought he was just talking crazy because he was all horned up. Horned up on feetsies. Yeah, well, whatever she'll show him. Remember, we just established that. Whatever she'll show him. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, if he thinks he can kill the white worm, he's crazy as fuck. Like he's not, I don't think he's going to be able to do that. Uh, that seems, and I don't, I didn't take it as this person, like later in the episode, when we see this, this burning building, I didn't take it as the white worm was dead. Uh, I, stretch. I had a half dozen people walk up to me and ask, is the white worm dead? Did they actually take her uh, out? I mean, her place oh. was burning and they were talking about killing her. My God, she must be dead. I'm like, uh, I think the show maybe wants to make you think that, but <laughs> I wouldn't think so. I mean, they just set her up as too powerful to go out to die off screen like that so suddenly. Yeah, um, I, I picture this more as like a game between people. That's this is this is real, recognized, real. This is two people competing for influence. In oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a uh, Viserys and uh, or a uh, Varys and Littlefinger. Yeah. Uh, cut to Aegon. He's eating and sobering up. I love that we get one shot of him sobering up. And you know what he's doing? Because I've, I've been drunk a few times in my life. Yeah. He uh, he's um, sopping the bread in the grease. So he's get that is absolutely a hangover move. Like, can I get as much oh, grease yeah. on this piece of bread to get into my system as possible? It's a hilarious it, scene. And they only th- they only showed it to us to show that it, he's sobering up. That's the only reason. There is a reason that a standard Southern breakfast is just sausage gravy and biscuit. It is very much of, you were probably drinking last night. This gives you some proper calories to get, just deal with that. This is his plan to get ready for the coronation. Absolutely. And we see Otto thinking, Amon thinking, Allison thinking. It's a big thinking montage, Spencer. Oh, we get yeah. a bit, whole lot of thinking. A lot, lot of, whole pen, lot of thinking. A lot, lot of pensive people that are, you know, uncertain what the next stage will be. 
whole lot of things going on. Cut to Rainey's who is in her chambers waiting. And then we hear all, out in the hallway, out of my way. And then the door opens and, ah, it's Eric with an A. He busts in. It, it is me. Eric with an A, right? Because for some reason my script says Eric with an E, but I totally thought it was Eric with an A. I had a hard time following it as I went. I thought that Eric, Which Eric with the, the I'm just going to look. Uh, I thought it was Eric with an E that had, that was doing all this stuff. And Eric with an A had a problem with it. I, I don't know. It, 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 sorry. It is Eric with an E that goes over, that is, that is favoring Renera here. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. It's Eric with an A. Or e. Eric with an E. This is Eric uh, with busted. an E. He's the one that's in. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Cut to Rainey's, who is in her chambers waiting. We hear out of my way in the hallway. Oh, and the door opens and it's Eric with an E. He busts in and says, with me, princess, I cannot let this treachery stand. Fuck yeah. Eric with an E. A man of honor. Uh, they, I like it. They take off. She's uh, dressed up covering her hair. Very important here. Yeah. That silver hair. Um, she, you know, if it was true to the book, she'd also be trying to hide her face because she would have those purple if, eyes. If, so she'd be trying if, to cover her eyes. If too. it was true to the book, she's not even in King's Landing right now. But you know, there were well, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk about that. And then we uh, see Lord Caswell, who is literally just hanging in the Red Keep, and he's hanging in that big open air room that, in 190 years later, uh, Cersei paints uh, it, during her War Council. So it's a, it's a, they keep that same little atrium as a scene for a lot of the Red Keep stuff. And I really like that. It connects it to the main series. It does. That, that's an interesting call in terms of just hanging him right there. They, clearly they want to send a message. It's not the same Set as Spike, his heads on spikes on walls, but, you know, give send a message to those who are here. Pretty close. We see Rainey's pass Balerion, and she does stop to look at Balerion's skull. Uh, then we see her out of the castle. She asks where they are, and it's south of King's Landing, uh, called South of King's Way. And I don't think it's a place she's ever been before. She seems pretty turned around. Uh, then we see a building burning, someone with their face covered walking away from it. Spencer, bleh. I mean, that, that's my that's my now thoughtful analysis of that scene. I mean, but, it was explicitly one of Littlefinger's guys that's walking away. Not Littlefinger, sorry, Larry's his guys. LOL. Away from, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he ordered the attack on you know. Mystaria's place, because that's what he said he was going to do. Whether he thinks he took her out or not, stands to be seen. Yeah, and I do love this, um, that that she, when we come back to Rainey's, that she's focusing on Maylees. Maylees is like a part of her. Like, they're, she's bonded with that dragon. dragon she's not going to, she's like, I can't, I can't leave. You know, that, that was the crazy thing that Sir Kristen Cole was like telling Rain, Rainera, like, why don't we just leave and go to Pintos? Or <laughs> and he, she's like, she's like, I'm not going to leave my fucking dragon. Wait. Are you crazy? People don't seem to understand it. Well, flaw in that theory is, of course, that Lainor voluntarily left Sea Smoke behind. But, you know, Lainor do what Lainor do. Yeah, well, has he? Has he really? Um, Sans he says she. He says she can't go there. You cannot go there. They'll expect you there. And that's a fair point. He says, I'm taking you to the river to jump on a ship. There are a ton of people in the crowd. They're all being herded in one direction. Everywhere they, they go, everyone, every, it's all being pushed. Everybody's being pushed by guards and troops and soldiers and white gold cloaks in one way. And um, as they push, it's pretty chaotic. But Rainey's is hanging in there. Cut to the preparation for the coronation. And we see the oils. We see, finally, Spencer. We finally see on screen the crown of the conqueror. That's pretty cool. We do. We see not only the crown of the conqueror. We by the end of the scene see Blackfire. I was actually here's, here's Blackfire. A, here's a fun thing. I was briefly terrified, terrified that they were going to make the dagger Blackfire. 
Because, oh, that would have sucked. Oh, because, that would have sucked. Because, because they set up the, you know, he's going to get, he needs, she, when she was setting terms to Otto, which Otto probably had the exact same plan, but they were the terms Allison presenting was, he needs to get Aegon's crown, his namesake, and he needs to get Blackfire. And then, the scene we have coming up is the two of them in the carriage, and she hands him the dagger, and he's like, you don't mean. I'm like, oh Christ, tell me, no. Please don't make that Blackfire. I know you've made the dagger everything so far, but... Please don't make the dagger Blackfire. Luckily, they didn't. Thank goodness. Yeah. So we see um, Aegon in the carriage with his mother. I absolutely adore this scene. It's a good scene. Other than my my fears about the dagger, yes. She said, have the decency to look grateful. And he's like, he just starts laughing. She tells him, so much work has been done to give you this. In an hour, you will be king. Aegon points out, my father never wanted it. And she's like, oh, he did. He did it. He's like, nope, nope, he didn't. He, Aegon's pretty clear. Had he did. He had 20 years. 20 years to name me, Aaron. Steadfastly, he upheld Rhaenyra's claim. Great Every point. single fucking time. Uh, Allison seems to be ignoring that one. <laughs> Allison says he changed his mind and Aegon laughs and just goes, no. Yeah. Nope. He could have, but he never did because he didn't like me. And that is also true. I, I don't know if it's, I don't, don't know if it's so much he didn't like him or if he just was by that stage of his life pretty much too incapacitated or weakened to care as much he's well more indifferent than dislike so i do so here's i I posited this theory on the one of the podcasts recently i think it was the last one where i said that rhaenyra was viserys favorite because that was the only living thing left of emma yeah link to it right and and so he was more indifferent to his children with alicent why because he was more indifferent to alicent period because his true love was emma yeah I do think that he ended up disliking the man that Aegon became. So I think it's both things. I think he was indifferent to start. That's fair. And then Aegon became the piece of shit that he is. And I do think Viserys ended up not liking him. Alicent then says, go ahead. To what degree one led to the other is it a reasonable enough thing to ponder later. But we we can go into that in a retrospective. I don't think, I don't think having your dad be indifferent to you makes you want to watch UFC yeah, it, Sesame Street. It's not an a, a lot of people. It's not an A to B. It's definitely not an A to B. There's steps in between there. I've seen some people positing this sort of like poor Aegon theory. And I'm like, wait a second. There's a lot of people with absent parents who don't grow up to be complete fucking monsters. All I, right. Like, so let's not I say want, that that's the cause. I wanted to offer it to later very much disagree with it. But I want it, it's certainly something that's definitely there in the fandom. I just love how Aegon is so flippant with his mother. And he's just oh, like, yeah. this is bullshit. Finally, she, um, Allison says, well, when the, with his final breath, he whispered that you should be king. And Aegon just starts cackling, laughing at the idea. He's like, that is bullshit. I know it. We I can smell it a mile away. Then we see the dagger. And Aegon gets serious. He says, you don't toy with me, mother. And she's like, I speak the truth. I don't understand. I guess this, the dagger's most important thing in this world now and what? so you guys just like why is so important that i have the dagger i i don't get it i really don't i don't get either it. it's like sure she has the dagger the king's dead do you think like the only way she'd have don't it is the king gave me. it to her he doesn't know about the no. prophecy he doesn't know if you heat it it turns into anything it's just like what it's a dagger obviously she has the king's dagger i, I didn't understand that at all other than again the show's fucking obsession with this dagger well, but you didn't, did you, did you catch the subtitle? Cause he actually says, don't toy with me, mother. Is this the dragon that the young Stark girl's going to use to save all humanity later? And she was like, yeah, it is. And I he got hate really excited. it when my subtitles cut out like that and I lose those kind of moments. It really just, I wish they had just like the interior monologue <laughs> subtitles all the time going on mine. 
You should have seen the dis- you should have seen the disgust when she said young Stark girl. He really doesn't I, like that. I version. know. My favorite whole part of this episode. Please. Aegon looks at his mother and says, Do you love me? And she goes, You imbecile. <laughs> I like that a lot. And honestly, honestly. <laughs> That, God, it made me laugh. that may have been the cutest moment between the two of them they've ever had. Because otherwise they've had no relationship, whatever. Do you love me? And she's like, you, just shut the fuck up. Just it, shut the fuck it, up. It almost reminds me of something my parents have like, you know, said to me every now and then. It's like, of course I fucking do. What? Do you, what? No. Shut up. Go away. It's like, you, yes. You imbecile. Uh, God, that was so funny. And it can be interpreted a million ways, but it was just really hilarious. When she just goes, you, like, she exhales too. Like, yeah. <sighs> she, it's like. A, yeah, obviously I love you, but also B, you are an idiot. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, she thinks it's an idiot. Yeah, it's into that scene, cut to the chaos in the streets, and we're with Rainey's point of view, and she's being pushed, and eventually she sees where she's being pushed. It's the dragon pit, and she stops and smiles, and she's excited, because that's where she wanted to go. Well, one, one thing you all, one thing just to, we referenced before is that Allison browbeats Aegon on the subject of, you ignore your dad. He's going to try to tell you to get put near to the sword, but you must reject his counsel. You can't rule cruelly and callously. Uh, you've got to do what you can to protect them, whatever their faults. Like, at the 11th hour, she's trying to turn the ship around in a different direction. How much of this do you think he's listening to? Not a damn thing. He's still looking at the dagger the whole time and thinking about his relationship with his parents. Nursing a hangover. I don't think he's listening to that shit at all. Um, cut to the dragon pit and people are filling in. Spencer, pop quiz. Mm-hmm. Why is this event at the dragon pit? It, it isn't. I thought it was at the Sept. No, it's at the Dragon Pit. I really thought it was at the Sept. I sorry. I just I that's I completely. That's why Rainey's is. That's why Rainey's is no. able to slip off down the hallway and get her dragon. No, I was going to ask you, like, how the hell did she come out of the floor, going all the way from from the Dragon Pit to the Sept? I really just misinterpreted the scene. Then I, I if, if, if it's if, the Dragon Pit in the books too. What's going on with your head? Where where, where happened to you? I was confused. I really thought they were bringing it to the Sept. I was asking, why did they make that change when it doesn't make sense? Sorry. Now I understand it better. It was the and Sept. That's why she was smiling. That's why she was smiling. When she looked at it. Okay. So you're now, with me now. now so why, why do they have it in the Dragon Pit? Same, same reason they do in the book of where it's the basis of Targaryen power. It's the basis yes! of their legitimacy. Everything else makes perfect sense. Sorry. <laughs> Completely thought they were meeting at that same Sept, whatever else. So that makes so much more sense of my questions with respect to the same. Thank you. Yeah, definitely the Dragon Pit. So, yeah, so let's explain that. Um, so they're having it in the Dragon Pit for ostensibly because that's where, that's the biggest building in Westeros. That's where he fit the most people. In reality, they're having it because the basis of Targaryen power is the dragons. And they want to remind you of that during the coronation. Why? Because they're basically proclaiming this is the absolute ruler of all of you. Right. And so they want you to be a little and bit intimidated when they do that. He's holding Blackfire. He's holding Aegon the Conqueror's sword. And he stands in the basis of Aegon's family's power. It, it's powerful. There is one. It's the same reason Jahiris had the Great Council at Harrenhal. Giving people images of Targaryen power associated with these big meetings is important. So, the, now we've established that they're, they're having it in the Dragon Pit. So the coronation really does, for the most part, on the front end, lined up with what's happened in the books. There is one big difference, and that is that Sunfire, Aegon's dragon, is not present. I hear from the show that they're saying that they didn't have Sunfire there because they ran out of money or whatever. I, I don't know, but like, it doesn't cut, cut melees his role entirely and just have Sunfire better. Stay yeah. Entirely. It doesn't make any sense because like they absolutely. So Aegon is bonded to Sunfire very closely. He, he's an idiot. Seen him he fly is bonded to Sunfire in the distance. So we've seen him fly. 
So it would make a lot of sense to have Sunfire up there so that he could mount a Sunfire, that the visual of the dragon would be there. And by the way, that is what happens in the books. And as soon as the coronation happens, he hops on Sunfire and flies to the Red Keep. It's and a so great that visual is for all the, all super around. important, right? Anyway, um, cut to the ceremony. Otto announces that Viserys the Peaceful is dead. Otto has a great master of ceremonies voice. I love it. Yep. Uh, yeah, I want him to be like the Dwight Schrute, like, James Halpert is coming into to the, the wedding party. reception. <laughs> He's got to find a book on Amazon before you can arrange that kind of garden party first. The people stir, but it also, he says, but it's also the most joyous of days. For as his spirit left us, he whispered his final wish that his firstborn son should succeed him. People seem confused by this. Why? Because they've been told for 25 years it's going to be Renera. But misogynists that they all are, they start cheering and like, woo, yay, a man. Let's go. Woo. Ah, I like it. Um, then we see the guards come in. Lots of them. This is a cool scene. Do I want Aegon to be crowned? No. But this is pretty cool. When the guards come in, and they separate the crowd, and then the swords go up, and as he walks under the swords, they fall behind him. Clink. Clink. I don't know. That was pretty cool. I was 100%, even with the absence of Sunfire, which I, I it's a weird absence because it's such an important visual about the character. Also the strength of the character too. Aegon can't be completely framed as being a doofus. There's power behind this guy as well. Um, He's got a fucking big dragon. He does. Uh, I straight up love this scene through the third pump of Blackfire in the air. It was a great scene. It was well done. I like the character arc. That they gave Aegon this episode. Because the guys had no character development at all before this. And they gave him a bit of an arc. And a bit of coming to his own. And a bit of recognition by the crowd. And it was great. It was with it. And then they had to throw in one last thing. So, I felt like the using Aegon, using the Conqueror's crown, to me, seemed desperate. Because it would make more sense for him to use his father's his crown. Name, his name's Aegon. There's connotations to bring to bear there. I get, yeah, maybe the, maybe the connection of the name. That's right. You're, you're right about that. But I, I don't know. I felt like they were just going for like, oh, like they were, because they're, they're because going of, to an 11 because they're overcompensating. Yeah. They're, they're overcompensating for the fact that they know that a lot of people are going to think this isn't legitimate. So they have to make it as legitimate as possible. So they give him Aegon's crown, which is like, he should use his father's crown. He should use the same crown that fucking Jaharis use. Like, it doesn't make sense that he's now just grabbing Aegon's crown, except, except for the name part. That was a really good point. And then also the use of Blackfire, right? And then the anointing of the oils. They were doing everything they can to make this look as legitimate as possible, but also as fast as possible. They were doing this quick. And that's the same thing in the book. They do this fucking very, very fast. And so They give us a slight nod to the kingmaker in the sense that they do have Cole set the crown on his head and announce him. It's a nod, at least. I'll give him that. Aegon seems to change a little bit as he walks up. The actor is changing a little bit. He's getting more serious. Uh, Aegon walks up. Alicent kisses his forehead and leads him to the coronation. As the coronation goes on, Rhaenys makes her way to the side of the room. We hear, may the warrior give him courage. May the father defend him in his need. May the crown, may the crone lift him uh, lift your shining lamp and light his way to wisdom. Something about the smith and his shield too. Mm-hmm. So of the seven, of the seven, they reference four. The warrior, the father, the crone, and the smith. Not referenced are the mother, the stranger, and the maid. Just pointing that out. Well, two, two of those are women and one of those is death. Can't talk about those at a coronation. Cut to Cole putting Aegon's crown upon Aegon's head. So that to your point, in the books, uh, Cole basically drags Aegon out of a brothel, and he's the one that 
makes of a king, puts the, the crown on his head. And this is a nod to that, obviously. It's a little straight. Like, if you don't know that from the books, you're probably like, why the fuck would Cole be putting it on his head? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, it, and it, it doesn't. It's a nod to book readers. They're like, okay, sure, fine. First time we've seen the Conqueror's crown, and it is beautiful. They did a good job with that that prop. I liked it a lot. Mm-hmm. Let the seven bear witness Aegon Targaryen is the true heir to the Iron Throne. We see the family looking at Aegon. Helena sort of like curtsies or bows at him. Like yeah. It's kind of strange. Um, there's a moment in the books that I really wish they had included, which uh, in the books, Alicent gets on one knee and uh, bows to Hel- Helena and says, my queen. Basically mm. transferring the queenship over to her. I liked that part. Um all hail is Grace Aegon, second of his name, King of the Andals, the Reuter and the First Men, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms and Protector of the Realm. So my mom is a real casual watcher of the show, right? She doesn't read the books or anything. So after this, after this episode, my mom was like, well, he's king. And I'm like, what? And she's like, well, he's the, he's the king. They, they crowned him. He's king. So that's, I guess what, what I that's exactly is- what the Greens want you to feel. <laughs> I know it was like the propaganda worked on her. I was like, I want to just talk to the casuals for a second. Like putting a crown on his head in this way does not ipso facto make him king. Like you're king when everyone in the realm agrees that you're king. And that is not the case right now. So like the history books are not on this day marking down Aegon second of his name is the fucking king. Why? Because most of the realm doesn't know this is happening and won't agree with it when they hear it. Yeah, I mean, remember, it took Bobby B. ten years after he conquered the Seven Kingdoms before he was basically actually recognized by everybody as king. And it took him invading the the friggin' Greyjoys and the Iron Isles to make it happen. Yeah, he did a little, little, little kick-ass. He had to do a little kick and ass just, just to get everybody on board. Mm-hmm. Then the people cheer, and Aegon looks around. He pulls out the Conqueror's sword, Blackfire, and all its beauty. Raises it to the crowd as they cheer. Otto looks so happy. The Greens, the Greens have won. Spencer, Yay! the show is over. It was good. It was it, good watching House of the Dragon. If uh, it show had over. ended here, if only it had ended here. It, this has been a great Aegon name. the King. This has been a perfect ending Long moment. The King. This has been a perfect Long ending moment. The they didn't need to give us an extra scene. I fundamentally believe that this would be an effective moment to end the episode with what we've had before. Throughout the last hour and ten minutes, so let me explain what they're going for. Uh, well, a they just want to make Rainey's look like a badass and give us a dramatic moment because it's episode nine and they felt like it. What there wasn't enough drama in it, right? They want to give us some people. I want to point out that some people who don't like all of the palace intrigue um, really liked this scene because they were like, okay, now we're getting some action. So anyway, Rainey's bust out in melees, kills a whole bunch of innocents, but apparently that doesn't matter. And by the way, the people who wrote the People who do the show said it didn't matter. People who, who like, behind the scenes said, oh, yeah, the people at King's Landing, they die all the time. That doesn't matter. Which, which, okay. is, which is really interesting because, honestly, I think that's, you know, we'll talk about it on spoilers, but I think that was honestly one of the most effective things was just how casual she is in terms of killing him and how little a deal she makes of it when she's supposed to be one of our heroes. That can be useful later, but the writers <laughs> don't seem to assign it any weight. So I found that really curious. So what they're going for here is that Aegon in his coronation is using all of the idols, all of the props, all of the trappings of House Targaryen in the crown of Aegon's conqueror, of Blackfire. But the true power, Rhaenys illustrates the true power and what actually make them kings is the dragon. And so like what they're going for is that like, he's a false king. 
yeah. because he does he's not they're, they're showing you on 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 camera he's got all of these idols and all this stuff but he doesn't have the teeth he doesn't have the real thing that makes a targaryen king which is the dragon but the problem with that is that he does have a dragon and it's 20 feet away from him yeah it's amazing that sunfire doesn't even just come because we've seen before dragons come to their riders when they're under under, under threat and concern i thought they were going to do that i got really excited because how cool would that have been Look, I know we don't like that Maylee, she busted out with Maylee's. I didn't like that either. But let's say she busted out with Maylee's. She's standing there. She's getting she's ready to attack. And then Sunfire comes like and a does a big, bullet. like a tete a tete. And they stare, they, Sunfire stares down Maylee's and that's what gets her to what? leave. That would have been a better scene. I was having a moment of where, okay, well, that's some impressive visuals. And yeah, that's surprising, whatever else. And then about, while that was happening, I suddenly hit a moment of, oh shit, they've got no way to make this make sense. Because she can't kill them. She can't kill them. She can't kill them, obviously. It stops. She wins the war and it stops the plot. She actually can't kill them. Game over. So how do they get her out of this scene with it making any sense at all? And they didn't. They didn't think of a way to get her out of the scene that make any sense at all. That could have made sense if they'd done that instead. But as you said, I would have really loved a symbolic thing they want to focus on here. Because I, I, I adore the part of the story where like the dragon and the dragon rider have a bond that's almost like ethereal that like, like they can sense things. Mm-hmm. Like I love when the story, when like when a dragon rider dies, the dragon screams. I like that. Like if, if Sunfire had come out to protect Aegon and they'd had a stare off and Maylis had left way better scene. That's not what happened. Instead, Rainey's is on Maylis, looks at him. And then Alicent tells, um, Cole to get Helena. Mm-hmm. And I guess he, he, he does this by standing next to her. He doesn't really do anything with that command. And then Alicent gets in front of Aegon and I think what they're going for is what stopped uh, Rainey's from killing them all is the look of, I guess, the Allison standing in front of Aegon and showing that mother's love and the strength and the spine, et cetera, et cetera. And they'd connected earlier, whatever. And then she, Maylee's roars at them. Actress Olivia Cook really crushed this, though, by the way, because she, she looked well. fucking. Well. Everybody else looked kind of like, eh, like, but she looked petrified. I will point out. Everybody on that dais looks scared except for Amon, who doesn't ever look scared. And he just stared down the fucking dragon, which, yeah. you know, like if you have to have this scene, that's a pretty cool thing to throw in that Amon just was like, okay, well, fuck it. It's like, you're going to burn me, you're going to burn me, but I'm not going to be scared when I'm going out. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just not doing it. Um, so, uh, Maylee screams, uh, she turns it around and we have a really cool scene of Maylee's getting out of that door and she's gone. Now, what? scene over one of the things that happens in this scene that i thought didn't make any sense is the guards started to close the door i didn't understand that why at were all. they doing that i don't know and Otto is screaming at them to open the door which he sh- obviously they should open the door it seemed a completely unnecessary detail maybe they're just trying to show the chaos of the moment but it just didn't make any sense that they would try to close the door maybe close the dragon in there i don't know what they were going for yeah i don't know the royal family's in there still dudes you're gonna close them in with it with the dragon Makes no sense. Okay. All right. So we've talked about it a lot. You didn't like it. I'm going to give you the floor no, 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 to explain no, no, no. why you didn't like it. I ranted before. I want to hear from you. You didn't like this scene either. Tell me from the heart what went wrong for you here. Not just why it was different from the books. What didn't work for you? Uh. Okay. Yeah. So it's wholly unnecessary um, mm-hmm. to have this, this entire scene because uh, Rainey's could have either not been in King's Landing. She could have left 
you know, the, the next morning she could have left uh, that evening when all the, cause apparently Rhaenyra's group left that night. Rainey's could have left too, by the way. Uh, she could she could have taken the same boat right over the driftmark, right? She could have left. Mm-hmm. So that's one way. Two is she could have just gotten in Maylie's and just bolted, right? Because yeah. she, I mean, because she might have been, I mean, yes, she she seemed to have some armor that was still with Maylie's that she put on, but there would have been nothing stopping a guard from throwing a spear right at her head as she was doing this. So she might have been like not super excited about confronting them all. Mm-hmm. So she could have just left. And three, I don't like it because if you're going to put her in that position, if you get, this is what she talked about. If you're going to get her in front of them and she busts in there in that big dramatic way, she's doing it to kill him. There's and like, it doesn't make any, doesn't make any sense that she wouldn't kill him. Well, so it seemed to me a wholly unnecessary scene they threw in for dramatic tension to show people a dragon, to show people a big, to have a big, oh, what the fuck moment. But I only like the big, what the fuck moments when they work within the plot and they, and it makes some level of sense. And this just didn't make a lot of sense to me. I think given the number of news articles that have been entitled, why Rainey's didn't kill them or some derivative of that. I think the writers kind of get that everyone, even if they like the scene is kind of going, that didn't make sense. And they're doing a certain element of damage control. We've gotten, yeah, I get that too. We've gotten three different explanations from the writers explaining what happened. The first one, which I don't think anybody... Well, knows. no, no, no. We, we, well, I think we got two and then one from the actress, right? Yeah, sorry. Three three explanations coming from the show, actress included. Uh, first one, I don't think anybody liked, but it was... I think this was Condal, maybe, that said... Uh, well, th- she didn't she didn't kill them because this isn't her war. Which is bullshit. Could not be more Bull- bullshit. <laughs> she just said in the episode, my oath is not so easily broken. She just said it. She, she just said that. Also, she fully committed herself last episode to the Blacks. Her daughters are marrying into Rhaenyra's family. There's no way this isn't this is her war. So, this is stupid. That's a stupid idea. Utterly stupid. Sorry. I'm sorry, Ryan Condal. I love you, but I don't, I don't agree with that one. Uh, they were grasped. I do love you, though. Thank yeah. you for the show. Uh, point number two, I think this one, this is one that came from the writer, um, was that... Uh, I'm confusing which ones were right. Which one said that it was just an act of mercy of where she was showing that she was the bigger, more powerful woman because she guaranteed. That's the, that's the actress. Eve best says this. Which I get where she's coming from, but it does not work for me at all because it's not in keeping with what we've seen of Rainey's. It's not, as, she is a woman that is cold, that is calculating, that understands her position and understands what is needed to, to protect her family. So much so that I was out on her for an entire episode. Yeah. That's how cold she is. Yeah. This is a woman that may have a certain measure of regret. She may sit over the your stand in vigil over your dismembered corpse afterwards. See last episode. She's still going to do it. She's still going to do what's necessary for her family, regardless. So I don't buy it. Option that's uh, also tied into a certain degree of where another one we've gotten is that she shared a moment with Allison. They were mothers in common cause. And so she recognized that and spared her and changed her mind. I didn't see that at all in the scene between the two actresses or see any reason to believe from what we've seen of Rainey's before that one conversation that was purposely manipulative is enough to get her to spare someone that is an active, conscious, will possibly kill your whole family threat to you. So none of the explanations I've heard today really big. Have there been any others? I think that's the only three I wrote down. It's the only three I've heard. Um, I will say that like some people have said they liked it because they liked that 
contrast of Targaryen power of show like the illustration that he's a false king that he doesn't have the true Targaryen power. I kind of like that. Okay, um, that's I also, fine. Just don't know, write yourself into a corner with it. You're, yeah, I agree. I'm just trying to give credence to the other side here. So they, the, other people liked it because they said, "Wow, it's just a genuine badass moment." I'm here to be entertained, and I love Game of Thrones, and I want a badass moment. That's cool too. I mean, I, you know, if you enjoy the show for that reason, power to you. Um, and other people just are big Randy's fans and they like that she had a moment and that's okay. That's okay too. So Spencer and I are aligned with this. We didn't like it, but if you liked it, power to you. Uh, I can tell you this, we're all going to keep watching the show. So anything else on the recap? No, I think that, that, that is where the moment finishes off is a very night. You may criticize their, you know, aerial tracking shots, but their dragon shots are on point on this show. All right, Spencer, it's time for best line of the episode. Do you have any nominees for best line of the episode? I got a few. This, this was not the most dialogue-heavy episode. There was a lot of, you know, brooding and people walking through aisles, but I, there, there's a few. Um, we got a thinking montage. We did. That's one of them. Uh, you already recited it word for friggin' word. You did a wonderful job of it. But Lord Beesbury's speech, as much as I despise that they cut him off and despise the, how they chose to kill him, is still a great speech and delivered wonderfully by the actor, so... Hats off to Lord Beesbury. You had you, you had a good exit in spite of their best efforts. Uh, I, I can recite it if you want, but I think we already did. So you you, you know the one I'm talking about. I do. Uh, uh, from Helena, I liked her line. It is our fate, I think, to crave always what is given to another. If one possesses the thing, the other will take it away. I think that's a good line and a good philosophical summary of the show. Um, let's see here. Here I am, trawling the city, ever the good soldier in search of a wastrel who's never taken half an interest in his birthright. Tis I, the younger brother, who studies history and philosophy. It is I who trains with the sword, who rides the largest dragon in the world. It is I who should be... I know what it is to toil... And this is Cole responding. I know what it is to toil for what others are freely given. And we can't find him, Cole. You're a decent man with no taste for depravity. His secrets are his own, and he's welcome to them. I'm next in line to the throne. Should they come looking for me, I intend to be found. It's, 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 it's a Woo! wonderful exchange between the two. Wonderful line. Hell yeah. Him. Great exchange. I intend to be found. Uh, from Randy, from Rainey's. You are wiser than I would have believed, Allison Hightower. Um, Allison, a true queen counts the cost to her people. And uh, Rainey's. And yet you toil still in service to men. Your father, your husband, your son. You desire not to be free, but to make a window in the wall of your prison. Great description there. Have you never imagined yourself on the Iron Throne? We don't talk about her enough. But the actress who plays Rainey's does a great job with the role. And it's She's wonderful. She's wonderful, yeah. Uh, line between uh, Allison and her dad. Uh, rather, I have been a piece that you have moved about the board. If that is true, then I have made you Queen of the Seven Kingdoms. Would you have decided otherwise? How could I know? I wanted whatever you impressed upon me to want. Uh, let's see here. Exchange then from Alicent to... You kind of recited it, but I'll do it again. But Alicent to Aegon. Listen to me, Aegon. Your grandfather, the Hand, will try to impress on you that Rhaenyra should be put to the sword. You must reject the council. We must not rule with cruelty and callousness. For all her other faults, she is your sister, your, your father's daughter. Interrupting Aegon. Do you love me? Dot, 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 dot. You imbecile. Great exchange. Philosophy that Allison's trying to bring the bear, whether it makes sense or not, whatever, but still well delivered, and a great, a great funny exit to that. Um, and this is from earlier; I wrote it down later. 
And now the debt comes due. A debt you were always happy enough to pay. A sacrifice. A sacrifice made for the stability of the realm. No king has ever lived that hasn't had to forfeit the lives of a few to protect the many. And though I understand your squeamishness, in response from Allison, reluctance to murder is not a weakness. Great line, great philosophy, whether we... I think they're both true. It's just whether they can establish any common ground between them. And that is actually all I got for best lines. All right. Best line of the episode, episode nine of House of the Dragon. We have an honorable mention this week. It is Aegon. I have no wish to rule, no taste for duty. I'm not suited. Amon, you'll get no argument from me. Funniest line of the episode. I'll give it that credit. Really, really enjoyed it. All right. Now we're going to uh, best line of the episode. Here it is. The winner for episode nine. It's Lord Beesberry. Oh, great. I am six and 70 years old. I have known Viserys longer than any who sit at this table. And I will not believe that he said on his deathbed alone, with only the boy's mother as a witness. This is seizure. It is theft. It is treason. Well done, sir. Well said. Somebody had to say it. Let, let the first casualty of the realm be an honorable man. And some people will say, well, you guys are only picking that because y'all like Rhaenyra and da, da, da. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And we're the ones doing the podcast, so that's what we picked. <laughs> All right. So, uh, here's the thing. When Rainey's decided not to burn them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was frustrated. I went to Twitter and I saw, like, it was a race for memes of, like, everybody going, when when I was when I was screaming at the TV, burn them. And it was like the kid, it was like the Mad King burned them all. It was people making the joke of like, well, I know one Targaryen who would have burned them and yep. images of Danny burning King's Landing. Uh, they had, you had like the sort of panic face or the angry face or the yelling face meme. Oh, burn them, burn them. Like everyone couldn't wait to get to social to explain their reaction to the scene. Now you and I didn't like it. I think that if they're going to continue to do things like this, the show's going to it's going to go a little sideways on us. But I, it was undeniable the reaction from Twitter, which was that was awesome, mm-hmm. that was an awesome scene. I can't believe she didn't kill him, and it had me on the edge of my seat. Yeah. And as much as it frustrated me and you, I think it worked for the vast majority of the audience. You and I have done some research online to try to figure out what did the masses think. The masses kind of liked this. A lot of people in my life liked it. They thought it was entertaining. They don't think, like, I think sometimes you and I are sort of a victim of how much we love it. Like, we love it so much. We want it to make sense at all times. We want, we and we think about it maybe a little deeper than others do. And, like, that's not a crime, but I think it does sometimes preclude us from just having, like, sheer joy in a moment. It It might not, like, like, makes perfect logical sense that other people can enjoy and we can't. it, It makes it harder to just appreciate the surface level pleasures. Exactly. And I think we struggle with that. But regardless, it was an absolute race for Twitter. And like, and there, there was like in the finale of Rings of Power, there is a big thing that happens. I mean, I'm not spoiling anything to say there's a big thing that happens. In the a finale. big thing happens in the finale of a modern television right. show. Go on. Yeah. And I went to Twitter. Not a lot going on. Not a lot. But I'll tell you, when Rainey's didn't burn the fucking greens, it was a race for the memes. I'm telling you, man, this thing is a cultural fucking phenomenon in a way I have not seen since maybe even more than Game of Thrones. I mean, when when Game of Thrones happened, I'm not sure there was the same outpouring of let's all talk about it on Monday morning. Let's all try to have the perfect tweet that describes the situation. It's taken over social media in a way I didn't expect. House of the Dragon, my friends, is here. It is a big fucking thing. And like, it's so big that they can have a misstep like this. 
and people are generally still with them. That shows the power of a show when they can have something where you're kind of like, eh, uh, ah. I think you kind of stepped off the ledge there and all the fans are like, give me it, more of it. Let's it, keep going. It also shows just the breadth of the fan base now that people can have legitimate complaints and there can still just be a massive crowd that is here for it and ha- couldn't give a wink about, about those issues. Nope. All right. That is the end of our normal segment. Spencer, anything else you want to say to our sweet summer children, our unsullied fans? I think it was a well-produced episode. I think it was a well, uh, it was a cinematography, cinematography, from a cinematography perspective, it was a beautiful episode. I think it was well acted at every point. I think our biggest complaints are with the writing. And for a few reasons, some of which we're going to go into here in a minute, I still think it made for enjoyable television, even if I think it ultimately will be near to the bottom of this season of of episodes. It's my least favorite episode of the season. I'd still give it like a seven uh, because it's it's a a rare thing to say. Because it was all of it, a lot of it's still really good. I mean, there's a lot of really good, like honest tension going on in the beginning of the episode, and it did the necessary thing. It killed the king. It installed Aegon as king in King's Landing, and now we all turn. The world turns, Spencer. All of us, all eight billion of us, turn to Dragonstone to see what my girl Rhaenyra is going to do with all this horse shit. So that is what we got going Let on next be. episode. And I can't wait to talk about it. We will be here with you Sunday night on our reaction to the finale of House of the Dragon. I look forward to it, Spencer, and we will see you all then. Whew. All right. We're in spoiler territory now, Spencer. Okay. Lay it on me. Uh, well, one thing just to mention uh, from the start. Uh, there's a big scene where Rhaenys tries to kill Aegon and Sunfire on, you know, the Red Queen. It's like, I guess, I'm guessing they're just going to straight up have the character change her mind on killing family members later uh, and being invested in the war effort later. Yeah, because what happens is, uh, Rhaenys goes out with Maelys to attack some suicide plan. No, no, no. She goes to attack some ships, and then, but, but in the, but then it's she a trap. Attacked by two dragons. Aegon and Aemon show up, and then she goes straight at them. Yeah, like no, no bullshit, and like Expecting doesn't really do die. any damage, but uh, die. She does die. She's actually burned beyond recognition. But, um, but so she hurts. This idea Sun, that it's, she hurts Sunfire and damn near kills Aegon. Starts the crippling of Aegon. That's true. That, yeah, that's true. That's that's where, and that's when Aegon, you know, becomes this sort of like absent king, and Aemon basically rules for like two years. Um, God for help the Greens. Yeah, it's a lot of shit that goes on. But the idea that like it's not her war is really tough for people who know where that's going. That's a real tough thing what? for Condor to say when we all know that she's gonna like actually like set Aegon. That she she, she doesn't set Aegon on fire. War. She doesn't set Aegon on fire here. She sculpted. But she will, she will in next, she will next season. Yeah. Like in next season, she's going to like shoot Melee's flame right at his so, right fucking head. And, like people, melt his armor to him. I, I saw some people trying to say, well, it'd be kinslaying. She can't do that. It's like, she's okay with it later. She's certainly okay with trying it later. So very confusing. Do you like how I did the thing where I was like, hey, um, you know, if you have to offer to split the kingdoms up, that's probably like last resort because that, that is something they offer right at the yeah, end. They do. That's kind of proud of myself there. Uh, yeah, speaking kind of, of proud of myself there. Speaking of, I pulled up the, I, I pulled up the terms. Uh, the terms that they're proposing were that uh, do do uh, allowing her to remain the Lady of Dragonstone and for the lands to pass to Jaceris after her death, for Driftmark to pass to Lucerus, and for her sons Aegon the Younger and Becerys to serve as king's squire and cupbearer respectively. If she acknowledged the throne, uh, as well as offering pardons to all her supporters. Um, 
the greens frame that as being like the best possible terms. What would you have said if you were their advisor about what the odds were of Rainier and Damon accepting even those generous terms? I'm presuming the show is going to do something similar. I would say that if you had a chance to offer them to Rhaenyra and Damon wasn't near her for some reason, you got about a 5% chance. But if Damon's near her, it's not, it's a 0% chance that that would be a crowd that would happen. And the only way it works, and this is just the weirdest thing that Allison's opposed to this in the show, is that if you have all the work that Otto did to build this massive coalition against Rhaenyra and have her basically present it to everybody's already on our side, you've already lost. We're generously offering you this just to save the realm. But it it doesn't like it, that's not the case when it comes to her, right? Like when it, when it, when she finally learns of it, first off, she learns of it while she's in labor and it kills her child because she's like bellowing, screaming, like screaming, "Get this child out of me! I gotta I got go fucking to kill do. my brother!" And the kid dies, and she gets out of this thing, and like it never occurs to her to do this. And like, and by the way, like she actually has a lot of supporters. Like, there, there's a lot of parts of the Seven Kingdoms that have not. Uh, not weighed in here yet. You got the what? entire north. Uh, you got the the, the stormlands. You've got the riverlands. Who what? it is? As much as they say, and they're sending a, a a raven to the riverlands. That that gets sideways on them later. And then you have all of Dorne. What the fuck Dorne's going to do? So there's a lot of lot of a lot of chess pieces out there left on the board. Well, I mean, Aemon does a lot to fuck up any hope of peace. Really damn early. And it seems like they're going to go that route with the next episode of where. At least yes. there's some hope. He kills Lucerius. He kills Lucerius less next episode. I can tell you that happens. Because Rhaenyra at least keeps the settlement terms open while she sends out her sons to try to see whether she has any base to support. Because this moment, she doesn't know. She doesn't arrange these lines yet. She doesn't truly know who's in her camp and isn't. So she sends out her sons to go check it out. They volunteer. Uh, and in the process, one of them gets killed. And in the books, Otto and Allison are horrified. It's like, Dear Christ, now there can only be war. What the fuck did you do, Eamon? But that's just what Eamon does at every step of the game. Is just Eamon wanted war. Eamon wanted war, and Eamon does everything in his power to make the war worse as time goes on. I mean, oh, he just spends like a year burning the Riverlands, like it, just running around burning the Riverlands, like it, calling himself king. By the way, that, that's where I completely forgot that the Riverlands were ever even potentially in the Greens camp because Eamon does everything in his power. That's why. To make See, I like to happen. do a li- I like I like to do little things in their non-spoiler section to like fuck with the book readers because like that's why I was like, hey Spencer, why did they send a raven to the Riverlands? Because it's like that doesn't make a lick of sense because they I was like, start torching. Did, did I torch the river- something? What? What's going on here? It's like yeah, good, they torch well the Riverlands constantly, and then it's uh, an army from the Riverlands that end up showing up uh, yeah. right at the end. Um, to, to and they're the they're that's the actual army that gets Aegon uh, off the throne before the, before the Starks even get there. So it's it's just an interesting thing that they threw that in. I'm like, why the fuck are they... The Riverlands aren't with them. Do, I think they want to emphasize just the shift as a result of Aemon's actions later on. Oh, there's a little bit of disloyalty somewhere in the Riverlands? Just burn it all to the ground. Um, but the main, main, main thing I want to talk about with you is something we referenced in our prior episode, but a lot of people have been talking previously about the show whitewashing Rhaenyra, and you and I kind of poo-pooed that as being, ah, you know, they're not making that big of changes, and they made just as many changes when it came to Allison and whatever else. This episode went as hard as it possibly could to make the Allison of the books basically unrecognizable in terms of just how hard they've gone to make this character imminently a good person imminently sympathetic somebody that people can still root for rather than in the books 
a person who has been conspiring from the get-go, who is intimately involved in the plans, and in that room, at that time, for the Green Council, is running the ship. But, like, here's my thing for you, is that we said on our our prep podcast that the show needed to figure out a way to make the Greens more sympathetic, that that would be a goal for them. That's a goal. It is. Condal has said that's a goal. My qu- and they, they have effectively done it. Are we upset with them for that? My question is whether they've gone too far. My question is, oh, okay. All right. are, is the show unwilling to show an aspect of nuance in their heroes? I mean, like, we can root for Radira in the books, and she can still be a self-centered bastard. There was one she fucking sucks. Look, I'm, I'm rooting for someone who sucks. <laughs> She's awful in the books. Cause, still root for her. Why? Because I don't like male primogeniture. That's why. Because George R. R. Martin trusts us to be able to see a certain complexity in characters that we... Our first meeting with Ned Stark is him cutting off the head of an innocent guy. That's our first meeting. Completely, completely innocent. We know it. And he we, knows we got, it. We, yeah. He, he violated the law of the realm that... Uh, Ned is willing to fully expect he's just out of his gourd and sane, but I, I'm going to kill him right now. And he justifies it later to, you know, his son is basically, that, eh, if you got to do evil things, at least do them yourself. And we're with Ned. We're with, we're, we're with House Stark and everybody else. And they do a lot of evil shit. We're still with Catelyn when she's straight up a zombie murdering people because we're able I'm to not. see a complexity Team of the characters. I, hey, if you want to see somebody, somebody with some weird complexity and quirks, Stannis got a few. But the yeah, show it's, it's, he does he lo- he loves great characters and I enjoy that about his uh, that's what I like about his works. I'm worried the show doesn't like great characters, and I'm it's it's start, this episode gave me some concern in that regard of where they took all of the aspects of Allison that we would deem problematic, not likable, and they didn't remove them from the greens. They just put them on everybody else around her. And I'm worried if from the previews they're going to do the exact same thing with Rhaenyra, of where they even had Rainey say. She's surrounded by men that want war. That was a heavy emphasis the conversation between Rainey's and Allison here of where I, I worry that they're going to make it so that the two main female characters, in an effort to make them more sympathetic to modern audiences, that they don't want the war, they don't want the violence, they're going to actually remove so much agency from them in them actively controlling their own fate. By making it so, no, it's the warmongers around them and they're just caught in the tides of things. And if that's the direction they're going, I know that, you know, they're trying, what they're trying to go for. But I think in some ways they're failing aspects of the character and really diminishing them in terms of their overall involvement in the story. But that's just a fear I have. And I'm curious your thoughts on that from what we've seen both in this episode and what we, at least they highlighted in the previews for the next. Is it... Has the whitewashing go too far to the point that you're actually ultimately going to hurt the characters and the characters that orbit around them by trying to bleed off all of their sins onto them? Nah, I think what they're, I mean, maybe for some, probably for you, uh, but like, I think that they're creating these sort of poles, like in Rhaenyra and Alicent, of like, that's the, that's the hero of both sides. Rhaenyra is the hero of the blacks, Alicent's the hero of the greens, right? And you, all the grayness of the sides are going to reside in Damon and Aemon and people like that, right? So we're still going to get the fact that the blacks do heinous shit and that the, where they do, they still do blood and cheese, right? Aemon is still going to kill Lucerius next episode, like for no fucking reason, just being an asshole. Like, cause he can. They're still, so both sides, so that when you look at the sides as a whole, they will still be this massive shade of gray. It'll be difficult to figure out which side to root for. But within that, they're giving you heroes. And I think it's you mistake. may not like that. 
Yeah, you may not like that. I I I would probably prefer they didn't, but it doesn't bother me because the story being told is still the same. You know, it's just they just just shifting what which characters do what basically. But the problem is the amount of shifting that requires is suddenly going to make it. I if they go really hard that route, which I'm hoping they're not. I'm hoping that what they're instead is setting up an aspect of tragedy that event they're going to both try to start clean, but the world just dirties them, and we see that build over time. That can work, even if I think they've gone too far at the start. But if they're instead making it that, no, these are the true heroes, it's everybody around them that sucks, to make that work, they're going to have to take so many decisions that both these characters make and have other characters do them against their will, direction, or knowledge. Which is going to have the effect of making them look just really powerless and weak when they're the leaders of these causes, effectively. Yeah, I mean, it, it really, I mean, the, the test will be when Renera gets to King's Landing. You know, is she the crazy fucker that she is in the books or do they, do they completely, that'll be the real test of whitewashing because when she gets to King's Landing, I mean, what she does to the citizenry, when she starts, when she imprisons Corliss for no fucking reason, she turns against everybody who was a bastard. She goes crazy and it'll be interesting to see if they, if they really uh, go that route with her or not. If they are going that route, God damn it. Set it up early. Don't pull a Danny on us. This is an aspect of her character you need to explore from the get-go for it to be believable, for it to feel built up, for it to feel realistic. Don't have it just turn on a dime at the 11th hour because you've written yourself into a corner. You can't whitewash them too much. Both of these characters do heinous shit. You need to at least set it up to a certain degree that they're willing to do so. Again, set it up that they're primarily self-interested, that they want their sides to win. You already were setting that up. Don't abandon it now. Because otherwise you're going to have a hardest time ever explaining why they do what they do. Uh, but one thing you referenced, which I'm worried the writers didn't even re- realize what a good idea it was. But having Rainies give a shit about killing all of those people in King's Landing with dragons in the dragon pit. It's actually great for setting up the storming of the dragon pit later. Yes, I wrote that in my notes. That like that could be the start of the, like the, the people of King's Landing just hating dragons. Because like... They just got indiscriminately squashed, you know, during the coronation. That, yeah, I think that's a that's a good building point, right? So it really could be. So we have a little bit worried that the writers were so dismissive. Of, eh, they don't matter. It's like, no, they actually really, really do. If you're doing this right, because that could heavily set up. Oh yeah, they they kill five dragons. They, they will kill. They, they, they will. Be, they will lead practically a religious in, movement to kill off all the dragons. Inclu- the dragon, including pit. including Renero's dragon, they kill. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, what they're doing with Renera and Allison, you know, they obviously were going for something this this season as far as making them more identifiable and likable. I do think there's a case to be made that they really don't like to show flaws in women and they love to show flaws in men. That seems to happen a lot. And, you know, you are you almost get into like reverse sexism where you're like pedestaling women and you're you're actually making men real people. And you're, the women are just like never make a mistake. I'm not saying they're there, but they can get into that. That's dangerous. I, I'm gonna bet you, I'm gonna bet you that Condal's online, and I'm gonna bet you that like Allison and Rhaenyra get a little bit more shades of gray next season. That's my guess. I hope so because we even commented on with with um, uh, Masaria too, of where suddenly the self motivated, interested in furthering her own interests, will just betray people when it suits her character. Is now dedicated to the cause of King's Landing. Do you think Ryan Ryan Connell believes the the women are an image of the mother to be held up in the blah 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 light call? I sincerely hope not, because I don't think it works with the story. 
Uh, it's just like, it's just a lot of like giving excuses for bad behavior for women and no excuse. Like the, the, there's no excuse for Damon. For Damon, it's what? just like he's just a fuck a shit. And, and again, if, I hope they, I don't, I, they shouldn't go that route. I don't think it, I don't think it does justice to the characters. And it's not even just because it's a negative philosophy or whatever else, but it's that you are sapping interest and complexity from your main leads. I mean, most people, if you did a poll of it, people, the, the characters people found most compelling on the show so far, Viserys and Damon would probably be in your top three. I think among most of the fan base. Would you agree it's probably a reasonable bit? Yes. And it's because they're they're able to have human flaws, complexity, varying emotions, things that don't square with each other but exist in a single person. Because they're human. You need that. You need people to have you know, the aspect of flaws, tragedy, missteps, violence, things that are despicable about them but you still find ways to love them. That's well-written characters. Don't go too hard at whitewashing to make them just utter heroes because it doesn't fit for this medium. It, that can work great in Lord of the Rings. It can work wonderfully in Lord of the Rings. You're dealing in myth and legend. With a show like this that is meant to be the dirt and the mud of medieval politics where people will fight to a death over a sausage, you need to give characters that aspect of human realistic flaws and selfishness. Don't be afraid to do it, otherwise you're going to write yourself into a corner if you're going to stick to the story beats going forward later. So I don't disagree with you, but I'm just not as passionate about it because I still think I'm, I'm more side. Yeah. yeah, I'm not as worried about it because they still show such flaws in each side. It's like if it, I, I mean, obviously I'd be out if like the greens were all perfect or the blacks were all perfect. Sure. Like I'd be they're, out. They're not that going that far. <laughs> yeah, they're not. Um, all right. Anything else on book to show changes? No, it, it'd be very curious for things to go for the next. And I think we can both agree. We got a banger of an episode coming up for episode 10. We do, and I think it's going to be. I think the the hit. You know, I talk about everybody rushes to social to talk about it. I think that the rush to social is going to be how sad they are because, like, we do know Lucerius. We have episodes with him, and like, we are going to see Lucerius and a very small dragon get bullied and killed and eaten for no fucking reason by a big bully. Like, and it's gonna like that's gonna sting for a lot of people. And if they if they do this effectively, they're gonna draw especially it. the dragon, oh, yeah. especially RX. Like that's tough to watch because RX because the way it's described in the books is RX is like feet like it's going as fast as she possibly can to try to get away from Vagar and just can't do it. I and that's tough to watch. I hope they make this hurt. Not just some quick killed you know instant in, instantly surprised. It's supposed to be thing. 15 minutes long. That 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 that's how much they're gonna draw it out. If so genius beautiful make this desperate struggling weeping amount of pain going into going throughout all of this they, they've got a great opportunity here it's horrifying as described in the books and if they give it the appropriate time god bless it's going to be great i think it'll be an interesting point to end on and it will certainly you know illustrate that like you know because i think that renero will be crowned after that um and It'll be go time and we'll, it'll, it'll set the stage well. But anyway, I mean, you look, it could end right now and it's been a wildly successful season. The show has fucking knocked it out of the park way better than I thought it was going to be. Absolutely. And this is just going to offer a wonderful capstone on that. All right. Well, thanks all of the spoiled folks who stuck with us and listened to a little book to show changes, book nerd bitching. We will be back with you on Sunday night to hear our reaction to the finale of house of the dragon thanks everybody for listening and oh by the way please subscribe to enjoy your stay a white lotus review podcast that's the next one spencer and i are doing to be a different podcast feed enjoy your stay 
We're looking forward to that. We're going to review White Lotus Season 2. Can't wait to do it. See you all Sunday night.